Sometimes the world just needs a hero to help cut through all the noise. Well, now you have two. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another awesome and amazing episode of the Heroes of Noise. I am one half of this awesome duo. My name is Steve. I'm the other half. Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Ramirez. Welcome back to part two of the Duran Duran special. It's been a long time coming. Steve, do we have an excuse for that? Uh, it was. I mean, we could make one up, of course. Oh, of course. But I think the main thing is it was just time. Like we had a show to put out, like the Heroes of Noise. We're Heroes of Noise proper. And we did not want to like give you a bullcrap second part of Duran Duran. We wanted to be like, if we're gonna do it, we're doing it. And so if y'all, let me tell you who studied for this episode, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> like Dan sent me notes and he's like, this is what I've gathered. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's ready. So today is going to be a Dan day. However, there is a glitch in the Dan matrix. Would you like to say, that, say anything about that? Uh, I don't have to deal with everyone. <laughs> like Maj, I know when Maj is going to come home rough by you. You give me the clue that, uh-oh. I'm your gauge, huh? Oh, because when he gets in that car, he sounds just like you, dude. Yeah. I'm going to try my best, guys. I'm feeling fine, but allergies are kicking my ass today. So pardon the voice if it sounds a little scratchy <clears throat> like that. But we're going to get through this. And we have a lot to talk about, man. I think you're right, Steve. We didn't really realize how big the story was with Duran Duran. And once it's we start diving a, yes. into it, it's a very interesting story. So we want to do it justice. Duran Duran is one of my all-time favorite bands. I didn't want to just kind of pass over things. So one part of it, like just a one-part story of Duran Duran really wouldn't have worked anyway. No. Turns out, we, I think we would have found out the exact same thing, but it just that we had so many technical difficulties that day, we just lost time anyway. It wouldn't have worked. But still, I think Duran Duran takes several hours to tell. We're already halfway through it. Well, <laughs> not really, I think, actually. I think, no, we're, we're not really to, halfway through it. We're not halfway through, but we have now that we have like a we had a practice run. We're going to get through this pretty well. Yeah, but I think so. I know, OK, let's rock and roll. Yeah, we got this. Well, so where did we start? Where, where do we end up, Dan? All right. So the last we were talking about Duran Duran, we were on. Is there something I should know? It didn't really get popular until they re-released it. They re-released the original album. Rio, they were flying high off of Rio, and they decided very wisely to re-release the first album. And it blew up, of course. Is there something that I should know being one of their bigger hits? So now this leads us. We're going we're gonna to time jump just a tiny little bit. You guys should be used to time jumps. Endgame's happening, so you should be used to this by now. So we are going to time jump to 1983, all right? This is the recording of Seven and the Ragged Tiger, Steve. Not necessarily my favorite album, but I do think this is one of their most successful albums. It's their third studio album. It was released November 21st, 1983 on EMI Records. And it was the band's first and only number one album on the UK charts. And it was going to prove to be the last studio album for the band's most famous lineup, which includes Simon LeBon, Nick Rhodes, Roger Taylor, John Taylor, and Andy Taylor, the Taylors. That's a big deal. What you yeah. just said is a big deal. Well, it's a, just a magic combination. It's ma And you know what's funny? It's like when you take one piece out, not saying it's going to happen for all those who have not been spoiled. <laughs> I'm simply saying hypothetically, if one of them leaves, everything changes. And that's pretty freaking amazing. That means you have a great group. Like... Maybe. It would be like if, if it would be like taking one of us out of this amazing podcast. Exactly. And to put someone else in might still be good, but not the same. Like for you, when Metallica got a new bass player, was it the same Metallica in your opinion? 
I mean, I was going through a mourning period, but I think they picked an amazing bass player. Jason Newstead was amazing. He didn't really get the credit he deserved in Metallica. And when he came on and recorded Injustice for All, don't worry, folks, we're sticking with Duran Duran. But when he recorded Injustice for All, there was some recording issues with the way that they brought the bass up in the album, which, to be quite honest with you, they didn't. It's very muffled. So, yes, to answer your question, um, it was a little bit of a disappointment. But then I saw him live and realized, oh, this dude's the real deal. It's just a recording issue. So, yeah, for Duran Duran, I hypothetically, if, okay, oh, you guys already know, they did sound much different after after uh, group members left. And so sure. saying that this is the like this is the fine. This is the special album with the, that, the last of them. I think it's interesting that they don't even know that that's true going in. At this point, they don't. They don't know that. It, they just think, hey, another thing happening. No problem. Let's do this thing. And so please go on. So for those of you that don't know the story, there is a little bit of a silver lining to it because uh, I'm not going to go there yet. But in 2004, they all got back together again and they recorded yes. an album called Astronaut. So we'll get to that. Um, I want to let you guys know that we're primarily going to focus on the Seven and the Ragged Tiger years. We're going to talk about the creation of the album and then we'll talk about the breakups and you know what happened after that. But we're not going to go quite as in the detail with that. And the reason being is that this is my Duran Duran, Steve. You know what I mean? This is yes. what I can really talk about and feel confident about. The other part of it, I quite honestly, I jumped off for a while. I wasn't really feeling their music. It didn't have anything to do with their sound or anything. I think it was just the time that the music was coming out, which I'll talk about what they were competing with and what we chose to listen to. So I sort of lost track of them for a while, but never lost respect for the band. I think, again, they're one of my favorite bands to this day. And uh, so anyway, let's get into it. So tell me something, Dan. Yes, sir. What does that title mean? Because um, I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. I do not know what that means. And I think it's one of those, um, I'm about to go on a weird, not, it's not even a tangent. It's one of those things where you're, if you're a big band, you don't have to worry about cool titles. You don't. You can name it whatever you want to. Right. And people are going to buy it. And I think that's the almost the staple of a good band is we could, hey, why don't I name my, my CD Bad Out of Hell. They're like, yeah, I couldn't name my opening CD Bad Out of Hell because they were like, what the heck is that? Even more so, why don't I call myself Meatloaf? Because that exactly. makes sense. I can just do these. And so I see a progression of certain bands to a point where they could just name it anything. And so I felt like Seven and the Ragged Tiger, that could have been just something they just woke up one day and were just like, yeah, let's just call it that. Or something they read in a book. Oh, right. I like that line. And they knew our name will sell this album. Totally. And to the best of my knowledge, there is a meaning to it. But if you don't mind, it it more involves another song. If you let me get to it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Go for it. So let me freaking get to it, Steve. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do this. So Duran Duran's riding high off of Rio. And like I said, they re-released their first album. So money's just pouring in. To the point, actually, where the band decided that they were going to take a year and move to France and become tax exiles so they wouldn't get taxed so drastically on all this income that they're getting. So what they do is they move to France for a while, they relocate, and they start writing what is going to become Seven and the Ragged Tiger, okay? Yes. Most of the songs are written in France, and but they none of them were ever recorded. And they wrote pretty much the whole album, and they ended up writing another song called Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Well, Seven and the Ragged Tiger never actually became a song. What they did was they kind of cannibalized it a little bit, and they took some of it 
they added something and they ended up coming up with the seventh stranger, which is on the album. Okay. Um, but if you're curious to hear what seven and the ragged tiger would have sounded like, apparently there is a leaked demo that's floating around on the internet. I don't have it handy, but if you look around for it and you're that curious, it is there. Okay. That's like really good information right there, Dan. Well, I try Steve. No, no, I, I don't think that you're, I mean, that's like, so <laughs> <laughs> if I YouTube this song, I'll find it. Well, you know, we could try it out real quick. No, we don't have to. No, I'm just saying if I YouTube it, I'll be able to find this song. This is what I've been told, but I don't have the proof in front of me. Let me try this out real quick. So it turns out I can find it. Would you like to hear it? I have no idea what this sounds like, and I can't play the entire thing. But if you guys want to hear it, it I will It is called play Seven and the Ragged Tiger. It is called Seven and the Ragged Tiger. This is a demo. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, the one that I have here pulled up is... Uh, it's like 12 minutes long. We're obviously not going to get there. So we're, we're just going to flip yes. around to it. Yeah. Yes. Let's give it a shot. Gee, that is so him. That's totally Jesus, Simon LeBond. That's him. Now, this is a pitch corrected version. Anyway, it sounds kind of bad, so I'm not going to play the whole thing, That's, but it's there. It is so him, G. Wow. Totally Simon LeBond. But guess what, Steve? It was Simon LeBond, so it kind of makes sense, right? Yes, very <laughs> much so. Uh, but I noticed on the pitch-corrected version that it actually sounds a little more like him. It's just that the quality's so bad, I don't really feel like you guys want to hear that. Yeah, it's a demo. What are you going to yeah. I mean, and it's a demo from back. Nowadays, you do a demo on your iPhone, and it sounds like you could release that. Right. <laughs> like, you could release it because they're... Um, they were talking about how, uh, well, anyway, let's get this stick with So for me with the Duran Duran thing is, if I had a song called Seven and the Ragged Tiger and I took that song off the album, guess what the album's not going to be called? <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're kind of like a title track guy? Yes. I'm like, okay, unless it's going to be a theme of the album and I don't have a title track that, that's name of that theme. Well, then fine. We'll keep it that way. But if I have Thriller... And I take Thriller off the album. I'll be like, what do you want to call it now? Is it self-titled? How do you want to do this thing? But they just kept the name. That's so interesting to me. They just kept the name there. Well, it's interesting. It's kind of catchy, don't you think? It makes no, you think anyway. It, I, I would say Because it doesn't then, roll off the tongue. It, it it's something not. that you kind of have to work to say. So I think that actually it like provokes thought. That's true. And also, when you were buying it back in the day, we just would be like, did you have Duran Duran's new album? Exactly. We this album could have been called exactly. The Turd of the Century. That's and then Duran Duran would have seen Duran Duran's new Duran album. Duran Duran yeah. fans would have bought it. Yeah, that's totally. It. Okay, that's really interesting. I'm going to actually probably download that demo. You going to study? Not study. I just want to hear, um, like, I, I'm going to probably dive into that song and find out why they didn't put it on the album. That's all. Oh, well, then we might have something next week, too, guys. Part three. Nick, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> no, that sounds very them ish. And it's weird that they just didn't make it. The title yeah. track. There's something to that. And who knows what that song could have sounded like, because we're going to get into the reflex in just a little bit and vast difference from their original recording to what it came to be. So we'll get to that. Let's slow Let's it down do a little it. bit. Yeah. So after France, they decided to go ahead and go to the Caribbean, which I think is always a great idea. So they go to Montserrat in May and they're joined by Ian Little, who's their producer and also a more experienced producer by the name of Alex Sadke. They spend five weeks there, and during one of these sessions, everything's going fine until Nick Rhodes collapse. He collapses, rather. And um, 
he ends up being airlifted to a hospital. People are freaking out. Newspapers are reporting that this is something that's real bad. And what it turns out being is it's a episode of uh, paroxysmal tachycardia, which the fancy words for abnormal fast heartbeat. So he's okay. So don't worry. I knew, got it. I knew you would know that. Nick's going to be with us still. We're okay. But anyway, so they finished recording the album, but it wasn't released just yet because they had prior commitments. They actually had to go back to the UK in 1983, July, actually, and they uh, played a charity gig for Prince Charles and Princess Diana in Villa Park. Here's the interesting part about this, Steve. This is why I included this. Because it was later revealed that the Irish Republican Army was plotting to plant a bomb at the concert to injure Charles and Diana. But the IRA member sent to carry out the plot, Sean O'Callaghan, was in fact, they picked the right person for the good reason, because he actually ended up being an informant for the Irish government. So he, he oh, successfully wow. helped pull the plug on the operation and we still have Duran Duran. And uh, I really thought you were going into the direction. I thought you were going to be like, the informant was a Duran Duran fan. I would have been like, whoa. <laughs> he saw no way. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, that is crazy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if it was just his love for music is what saved Prince oh, Charles dude. and hey, Princess music Diana? music has the power to do it. That's true. It can change the world. Exactly. Um, but uh, so... With Duran Duran, did they open this concert or were they just part of this? Is this like a big, huge, a million different bands at this concert? Well, no, this was just a Duran Duran show. And later on, we came to find out that this was Princess Diana's favorite band. Oh, I thought it was some sort of like Princess Trust. No, oh. no, just a, yeah, it was just her. They, oh, yeah, I when mean, they call, you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they but, call, you go. But they're okay. like, hey, we're her favorite band. You know it was a good set, right? Oh, come on, G. I mean, they're playing for the princess, man. What and they hadn't do? written View to a Kill, so it was a great set. All right. So we'll get to that in just a second, Steve. Just calm down. Just calm your shorts down a little bit. Keep your opinions to yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after that, they actually hung out in the UK for a little bit longer, and they recorded several more tracks. <clears throat> that is so but before they, oh, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get my throat right. <clears throat> well, like, it, I think it's awesome that they could just be like, we can record wherever we are. You know what I'm saying? The fact that they're like, hey, we're well, in the UK. Why don't we just go to a studio and keep on recording? That's totally, just yeah. dope, dude. And God, to be honest brother. with you, I'm not entirely sure if they actually recorded the full tracks there or if they just laid down some demos and then brought them back with them because they ended up returning to Montserrat yeah. and they spent the rest of the summer doing this long session to recording the rest of the album. So after being, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, after being isolated for so long, they actually moved everything over to Sydney, Australia, and they start working with Ian Little again and Alex Sadke, or excuse me, Sadke, Sadkin is the word I'm trying to say. Um, they continued working on this album and it eventually became Seven and the Ragged Tiger. They recorded at 301 Studios. Interesting thing that happened in this is that, um, this is a little bit of foreshadowing. During that time, with the addition of Alex Sadkin in, John Taylor and he used to bang heads quite a bit because it was taking a really long time to mix the album. I'm sure there was like, you know, creative differences going on there and John Taylor was getting super pissed off. But this was sort of like the seed that was planted for his eventual departure from the band for a little bit. And he, because he in his head, he wanted to hear a little bit heavier music, not heavy metal, not metal at all, not even hard rock. But I think they wanted to be a little more edgy. And uh, this is sort of like the germination of the band, The Power Station, which was a side project that happened later on in 1985. But like I said, John Taylor was kind of contemplating leaving Duran Duran for the first time during this time. Gee, you literally answered the question about Seven of the, Randa, the uh, Ragged Tiger in the next paragraph. Yeah, that's what I was telling you, man. Under Union of the Snake. 
Yes, sir. That's what I'm saying. It's not really tied to Seven and the Ragged Tiger, but it kind of is at the same time. It's totally that because he's like, "This is what Seven and the Ragged Tiger means." Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, could, one could look at it that way. <laughs> I mean, he's like, this is what this means. I'm yeah. like, well, we could have just gone there. Where yeah, but I'm Simon trying to tell the like, story. I'm painting Simon a picture. Was like, Hudson. This is what Seven and the Ragged Tiger means. This. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, well, oh. <laughs> it's amazing that? you don't like spoilers. You know what I mean? You're not a My spoiler bad. guy. <laughs> and mind you, this next this next song that we're about to go into, the single, it had to grow on me, dude. The you know, first I, time I heard this song, I did not like it at all. It's a different sound, but there's a reason that it's a different sound. They were listening to a lot of different music. Yes. Something that I didn't mention is when they were in Sydney, Australia... They went over to another producer's, and I'm so sorry, I did not write the producer's name down. And matter of fact, to be honest, I just learned this a few hours ago. So they go to Australia, and they, the guy's like, hey, listen, there's a band I want you to hear. I know you know who they are, but this is their new stuff. And they end up playing In Excess's Original Sin. I don't know if you've ever heard this song before. Have you? No. So I got reasons for not playing this song, Steve. But um, we might talk about them eventually. Maybe we'll talk about it. Yeah, but it's the song. If you guys know, maybe you know the songs and not necessarily the title. It's the "Dream on, Black Girl, Dream on, White Boy, and Wake Up in a Brand New Day." Oh, That's wait. just the lyric. You've heard this song, Steve, I guarantee. <laughs> I don't want to sing it to the people. I got allergy voice today. I didn't but know it's, it was called Original Sin. Yeah, Original Sin. Okay. It's, it's a fantastic okay. song. Now, if you can kind of recollect what it sounds like, matter of fact, I'll put in a pause here if you guys want to check it out real quick. Go ahead. All right, if you chose to check that out, just keep in mind how that song sounds. But anyway, uh, Nick Rhodes, Simon LeBond, and John Taylor are just freaking over the sound of this. They, it, it was a new sound for NXS, and they really liked it. And the key component was Niles Rogers. So they said, we want some of that, basically. That actually was the sort of a, a seed planting for the reflex, and we'll get to that. So let's talk about the singles a little bit of what they did when they actually released the album. Uh, like I said, the album released in 1983, and the first single that they put out happened to be their ninth single for the band, and it was called Union of the Snake. We were just talking about that. Which is a great, I think it was a great lead-off song for Duran Duran fans, and it's, like I said, I didn't like it at first, and that song, that was one of the songs you sent me. And that song, I, I noticed myself kept on going back to it. I'm like, why am I going back to this song? And I thought it was just because it's so different from what they normally do. Because yeah. remember, when you sent me that, you didn't send me in chronological order. You just sent me a list of songs. And I was like, this sure does sound totally different than, than what, they, what they normally do. And uh, I love the fact Roger Taylor says that he literally lifted the drum track. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is dope. Which is yeah. dope. I didn't notice that he was like, yeah, it's from David Bowie. Totally. Like, yeah, oh. it's Let's Dance. That it's, drum track is basically David Bowie's Let's Dance. And we could do that back then. Now you couldn't get away with that. If you just kind of lifted someone's drum track, you would get a app iTunes would catch it. Snap you up quick. Oh, yeah, they'd catch it that quickly. Back then they were just used to, hey, let's just, you know, I'll take this and take that. And it made for a really, really good. Do you like this? Um, and it's supposed to be an allusion to tantric sex. I don't hear it, but apparently yeah. that's what it's supposed to mean. But do you like this song, Dan, or you're not a fan of Union of the Snake? Uh, at the time, I was really into the song. In retrospect, it's not one of my favorites, but it's oh. definitely not a bad song. Okay, 
And I think that it's kind of an important song too because it did change their sound quite a bit. Dude. Um, Nick Rhodes was using different equipment now. You know, he was introduced to floppy disks. He could put a floppy disk into his synth and have all these different sounds, whereas before he was just working with mostly strings. Totally. And now he's got horns remember. and voices yes. and, you know. And you could take one floppy disk and, like, say he saved a setting. You could save as many sounds as you want on a floppy. And you could just be like, I will take this floppy to another keyboard with that floppy drive in another studio, and he can replicate that sound. Totally. The exact sound. And I'm like, oh, yeah, floppies were, they were a game changer for musicians. Floppies like, oh, were where it was at. Dude, dude, but go on. So getting back to what you were saying about Seven and the Ragged Tiger, yeah, Simon Le Bon had added in an interview one time, he said the title was supposed to be about a seven, meaning the five band members plus their two managers in this fairy tale with the Ragged Tiger, who was fate or luck. And he says, I don't think anyone got it. I, I don't think I got that out of it. But, you know, it's no. all about uh, perception, right? But the, <laughs> I don't think the group got it. I, I think the group were just like, let them just do it. Let them yes, do I don't. It. Totally. I don't think anyone got it. Like, whatever, Simon. It sounds <laughs> exactly. good. Exactly. Whatever, You're sounding dude. great. Because <laughs> I think at this point, because when you see, hear interviews, whenever they ask, what does this song mean? All the other band members are like, I don't know. Simon just writes stuff. I'm like, oh, they didn't know what he was talking about. They're just like, I don't know. He was just writing some stuff and it sounded cool. Ask him. I'm like, man. Well, he was definitely on some poetic shit back dude, then. Dude, and they were not on that. They were just like, if we can make a hit, we make a hit. We make a hit. And that's why I think that's one of the reasons Homie went and made like smash hits with number one hits with other people. Because he was like, I don't need to have all this poetic stuff. I could just make a smash hit without it. So it was great, dude. I mean, look, I like I now it's one of my favorite Duran Duran songs. No question. One of my it's favorite. definitely up there. I mean, that's the reason why you heard it in the first place, is because it definitely stuck in my memory. And it was something that kind of helped form me and my my fandom for Duran Duran. So yeah, I mean, you're asking me if it was I don't I don't know how you put it exactly, but you know, like I said, in retrospect, it's maybe not one of my favorites. But then again, I've got a high, maybe top four or five that really stand out. Yes. It's it, it's in there somewhere, but it's just not at the highest point. Okay. So I guess we should probably play a little bit of it just to give you guys a sample of what Union of the Snake sounded like, because we got to remember, Steve, not everyone listening has probably been a Duran Duran fan their whole life. Maybe we're turning on, maybe we're creating another Steve Hudson fan right now. Not necessarily a fan of Steve Hudson, but. I would rather that. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that that's happening too, but I'm saying maybe there's someone out there like yourself that really knew nothing about this band. So let's give them a sample. So you and see also, what I'm saying? The, the one thing they're really good at are pre-chorus bridges. Like yes. little bridges that lead right in into the, the chorus. They're really good at that. And yeah, they've I've always, always been so. good at that. Yeah, they've always yeah. been good at that. That's like their thing. There's definitely magic in the way Duran Duran wrote because they no wouldn't question. have they would not have lasted this long. This is a 30-something-year-old band now that's still touring and touring successfully. And they still sound fantastic. But yeah, the ingredients put into their early work is definitely like the uh, the foundation and no has allowed question. them to continue on for so long. No question. So did you know that there was a little bit of controversy surrounding Union of the Snake? I did not! 
<laughs> Nothing too big. Like it wasn't really like band controversy. What? It was more of a business controversy. Please. So MTV gets uh-huh. this song a whole week before the single's actually released on the radio. And they're playing this and the radio's freaking out. They're really anxious at the time because they're concerned that channels like MTV are going to like, you know, take their promotion from them. And guess what? It actually happened. So kind of funny. I think I just thought it was interesting that the uh, MTV had that much power at the time where they could take this video and play it a week before the, the thing even comes out. I think that's pretty impressive. It says a lot about where MTV was back in the day. Bing. And also, you know what, what it really says? What's that? That Duran Duran caught on. I mean, I think that they were doing great for themselves. Yes. And, but then America got it. Exactly. <laughs> so they're like, we need to start getting this. Uh, we need to start giving them a heads up. To, to put our video on instead of being like, it was kind of a hit. Leave. America gets it. Ma- uh, MTV gets it. Massive thing. They're like, Huge. just give it to them early. Now, you got to remember, MTV's playing Is There Something I Should Know? Rio. Everything. Save so, a Prayer. I mean, here, all these songs are in it. constant yes. rotation. You know what I mean? And, and yep. Reflex hasn't even come out yet, but they're... MTV knew what they were doing with this band. They knew how to market them. They knew that these these five good-looking human beings were going to make them a ton of money just by playing them in rotation like that. And really, honestly, I do think that's part of it. Obviously, MTV got a cut of that, you know. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, the, uh, obviously, with um, the big thing is, you know, advertisers come to where there's ratings. Duran right. Duran's on TV. They see that there's a spike when their videos are playing. Right. So they're like, okay. That's more what I'm getting at. I'm not yeah. saying that they're making money directly off of Duran Duran, yeah. but it is bringing in money to MTV. Mm-hmm. And they something tells me they liked money. That's the thing. They don't care about Duran Duran. <laughs> not the a bit. The second Duran Duran's not a thing. Yeah, they, you have no use to us. No use to us at all. But they see, okay, these guys have a face and a thing that people like watching. And uh, yeah, I totally get And uh, But I think it's genius for them to give it to a week ahead of time. Is cr- MTV would never get something a week ahead of time now. No. They wouldn't even be on someone's radar to get it. Hey, let's send it to MTV. <laughs> Maybe like a an early sneak cut of like exactly. Teen Mom or That's something it. like that. But if, but if Bruno Mars's rep was like, should we give it to MTV ahead of time? They'd be like, dog. Well, MTV just doesn't have that power anymore. I not mean, they're, anymore. They're not even really a music television anymore. You know? I mean, back then it was all, I want my MTV. Every few hour or every few minutes you would see a celebrity on there saying, I want my MTV. Bingo. And it was just video after video after video. It was a fantastic time to be alive if you loved MTV. I did. That formed me, dude, to be quite honest with you. I oh, always loved music, but MTV kind of formed the way that I look at rock and roll and, and hip hop and everything else yes. just because it, the visual yeah. aspect. You know, Yo, MTV raps was huge. Huge. That was humongous back yeah. in the day, dude. And and for me, I, I think like when YouTube came around, not saying that they changed the game, but now that kids can just watch a concert of their favorite artist, they don't care about a video too much. No, instant gratification has actually killed a lot of good things because you can, in fact, just go to YouTube and you don't have to wait around for that hour. Oh, I know they're going to play it pretty soon. They played it last hour. They're going to play it again. It doesn't matter anymore. It's just push a button and you have it right there. I think instant gratification not to give you a hot take or anything like that, but I think it's made things for the worse because it's it's killed anticipation. It's killed, um, I think it's killed that level of fandom to a degree. We were talking about last week, that band BTS yes. and other bands like this, uh, Panic at the Disco, mm-hmm. um, uh, Five Seconds of Summer, things like that. They, they still have the screaming girls, but I think that I can only imagine what it was like if they were in the MTV generation, the oh, true dude. MTV generation. It would be it, massive. It would be. And now I don't think I think they they made the perfect time because 
Like we're talking about in Duran Duran, how we we see in Duran Duran, they had hit songs that were literally kept out of first place because of the behemoths that were in the 80s. Yeah. But Duran Duran was the biggest band, but you still had Prince. You still had Michael. You still had Bruce Springsteen and all them cats, even though Bruce was knocked out by them. But still, you had people you were competing with that were like, no, no, no. This is our, we love y'all. Y'all are good, but this is our area sorry to break the news to you yeah which is comfortable but don't get too comfortable how crazy is that that's mtv was a driving force dude yeah 80s it was just i don't know i mean i hate to sound like an old dude but god damn i love the 80s man (laughs) i still listen to most of that music i mean look durant and the thing is duran duran being the biggest thing in the world i can i can understand how they were like look why can't we get a number one they finally did but they're like geez it was pulling teeth. Every time they drop, it wasn't about, oh, we dropped on the wrong weekend. Every week there was a new hit song out that was humongous. So it's just like, well, when do we, we just have to make a song better than everybody else's. That's what we have to do. I can pretty much guarantee you that we're going to get to a point where you're going to be like, oh, that's when they did it. Well, they already did it. They already had their first number one. That's true. Yeah, they already had their first number one. Because remember, Homeboy was like, why don't you make us a hit single since you're going and making everybody else the hit singles? I think it's Is There Something I Should Know, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. After produ- after producing Too Shy, he was like, do you want me to do this for you? Well, he didn't say it. They're like, <laughs> Simon you need to do this it. for us. Yeah. Simon was like, what the crap is up with? Like we were talking about, there was a little, you could tell there was a little bit of heat where he's just like, look, Too Shy is a great song, dude. So why don't you do that for us? And he did, you know, is there something else? And again, again, it was not some clever, ooh, look at my awesome, amazing, uh, uh, poetic, you know, lyrics. Is there something I should know is the most, one of the most straightforward Duran Duran songs. There is no clever. No, it was just like, hey, I think you're cheating on me. Is there something I should know? Nick Rose was like, yeah, we probably should just make it straightforward if you want a number one. Just, yeah, no, simple's better sometimes. Simple's better. Union of the Snake's not going to do that. No. We just need a straight ahead, are you cheating on me song? Oh, well, okay. like you said, when you first, li- sorry to interrupt you, but like yeah, you no, said, no, no, when perfect. you first listened to the song Union of the Snake, it took you a little while. A while. And I think that's exactly what it took. Outside of having that visual, you got to remember, there are millions of young ladies and men that are watching this MTV and waiting for to see Simon Le Bon and all their favorites in the band totally true. Totally true. looking all good and doing something adventurous, which yeah. leads me to this video here. So they record this video, right? And um, they go out to the Australian desert and it was filmed in uh, the Sand Hills near Cronulla, I believe is what it is. I hope I'm saying that correctly. But th- the video is kind of, um, it's very elaborate. It's not kind of, it's very elaborate. It's got this half man, half snake guy that's chasing him around through the desert. It's, it's kind of yeah, cheesy, folks. Let's, let's watch that. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, um, and then they eventually, you know, they're, they're, they're running from this guy and they eventually take this lift down into the sands and it's like this underground cathedral and there's like the snake creature and all these other snake creatures are dancing around. It's very elaborate. Okay. But the reason that I bring that up is because, because of it being so over the top, it actually foreshadowed what was to come because the next video that I'm going to talk about and single for that matter is a song called New Moon on Monday.
Just a taste, folks. Just a little taste is all I'm going to give you. Do you like that song? I do. Yeah. It's again, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. I'm going to say over and over again, it, I had to kind of grow into that one. Okay. Um, I have very fond memories of that album because it came out during the summer where I was just hanging out with lots of, I was getting into girls. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't know. I just have fond memories about it, but I do recall having to get into that album. It wasn't just the videos. Like, like I think some people probably were won over by the videos and then just went with it. it yeah. I had to, I had to think about these songs a little bit. And I think that, at that age, I was around 12 at the time. I think everything was just starting to get pieced together really well. I was very enamored with their music at first, but I was still a little bit young. At 12, I start putting things together. And I actually end up really appreciating the song. But speaking, like I was saying, of over-the-top videos, the second single comes out, New Moon on Monday. It wasn't the biggest received song out of the album, at least out of the hits that they had. But it ended up being very grand because I believe the video that they ended up coming up with was around 17 minutes long. And it has this whole storyline where the band appears Uh, in the chorus. You hear it. He says something like uh, La Luna. I light my torch and wave it for the new moon on Monday. And it's about this resistance movement called La Luna. And they're they're organizing a revolt in the streets. Okay, mm-hmm. everything's pretty good about it, Steve, until we get towards the end. And I think that the band would even agree about this. So the, the song uh, was not necessarily a favorite of Andy Taylor and Nick Rhodes. Imagine not necessarily not necessarily the music. It's what they were asked to do. Andy Taylor actually put in his book Wild Boy, My Life in Duran Duran. He says everybody hates it. Uh, particularly the dreadful scene at the end where we all dance together. There's a scene at the very end where they're doing the chorus and they're dancing and they look so freaking uncomfortable. He says, even today I cringe and leave the room if anyone plays it. I'm taking this from the book. It says he recalls that they were miserable since their Christmas holiday had been cut short to come out and shoot this video. So they basically spent most of the day on this dark and cold set drinking. And by the time that they got to the part where they were actually having to dance in front of the camera, they were just kind of half shit faced because they had to do something to sort of tolerate it. But it was, uh, he'd said it was one of the only times that he's ever seen Nick Rhodes dance. You know, it's so Simon, this was Simon's idea. I'm not entirely sure if the video was Simon's idea, but I think the concept was like the concept of the song. Well, see, the interesting thing is this is this is kind of a foreshadowing to things like Coheed and Cabria do, where there's a there's an idea that goes along with the with the songs. Like they probably like I, like you said, there was comic books that go along with their CDs. Right. This guy had a theme that went along with probably the video. Right. And it's really foreshadowing, but I don't think people were ready for it. At it was that a lot. Time. It's a lot, G. But bear in mind, Steve, that at that time we had videos like Thriller that were coming out. And that true, was a grand true. video too. So I think that they were tra- sort of trying to stay on the up and up with that. That's tough. I, and the hard thing is, like, and you know, we lived through it. We lived through Thriller. It was nothing was going to do that. It was no. just something that either could have worked or could have gone down in absolute utter flames. And totally. it just happened to work. For this thing, I think it's hard to do a video where you have to have some sort of knowledge of the intricacies of a song. Thriller, you didn't have to. It's a scary song with a scary video. The end. That's the end of that video. This one, you kind of have to listen to the words. Be like, oh, it's an up. Oh, there's an uprising called La Luna. We weren't listening to lyrics like that in the 80s. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> way too we didn't even know what a resistance was really at that age. we're like what what's happening right here and so i but i have to appreciate these guys are in their 20s you gotta give them props for even going for it but i do believe like you said 
what was happening at the time pushed them that way. Like there were people pushing the envelope back then. Sure. So they had to stay on top. And of Duran Duran is actually one of those bands back then. They were they were innovators of several things. Yes. And, but yeah, but they. I, I'd be quite honest with you. I should have checked the dates on this. I'm not sure which one. Maybe you know, uh, Thriller. Which one came out first, Thriller or? I know um, Thriller dropped in '83. The video in '84, I believe. Okay, so same time. So, yeah. you know, there's, I'm sure there's whispers in the industry about this. Hey, Michael Jackson's doing this thing. If you guys want to try this you out. You know everyone knows about it. You, I, I guarantee the the idea of what was, was happening was buzzing through managers and these people like, hey, did you hear what's happening? But right. also, you know, I think, and I may be wrong because I'm not looking at the notes. I'm, I'm, I think they smell what's happening. This is the biggest yeah. band on the face of the earth totally they've got their finger on the pulse of what pop culture is asking bingo and they're smelling a change of the guard totally that sucks dude they've been humongous for a few three years now two three years i think they smell a changing of the guard do they smell a changing of a guard and something that sucks or do they smell a challenge there we go They, they they smell be like okay in order for us to stay where we're at not saying if they do or they don't but they have to make changes. Something has to change because they're they they know how to make hits, no problem. Next, next, next. But I do believe they see other people coming in and be like, "All right, um, you know, we want your spot." When you're at number one, when you're the number one group, I don't even, you know. Technically, I would be nervous too because the only where to, the only place to go from the biggest band in the world is one place. And that is not the big span in the world. Yeah, there's only one way to go. It's down. We want to go, and so I'm like, right. oh no, oh no. So I think they smell it, and and if they don't, their managers do. Their sure. managers are like, we need to make you still keep stay number one. But I appreciate a 17 minute video, so I give them props for even going for it. More power, more power to you. It always struck me like Simon LeBon and Nick Rhodes were sort of the driving force, being yes. that they were the at one point two of the only original members left. Yes. You know what I mean? I think they were always the driving force. So I yes. think that they were always trying to, if not top themselves, stay current with what yes. was going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is hard because they made what was current. For a yeah. long time, they dictated what groups sounded like at that point. And then when they're not, when they, what they dictate is current starts being passe, what do you do? For instance, Coheed and Cambria, you brought them up. They are constantly changing their sound. Sometimes they kind of go back to a familiar sound, but they're constantly progressing. So I just think that they were trying to keep their finger on the pulse and and trying to keep this band alive. And the reason I say trying to keep this band alive is because, you know, we, we were talking about a lot of good things that are happening. But in the background, mm-hmm. there's some things that are not so great that are happening. I mean, mm-hmm. we're dealing with egos. We're dealing with substance abuse, alcohol abuse. We're just dealing with five members of a band that are trying to stay together and run this machine that's just getting bigger and bigger the whole time. And they don't know how to handle it. This is their first experience. Each level of their success is a different experience for them. So totally. all of these things, yeah. So all totally. of these things put together is creating, you know, some animosity, maybe a little bit of jealousy. There's definitely some competition going on. Uh, who's going to be in the front of the picture in teen magazine, those kind of things are all taking place at this time. So even though we see the success of the band, I'm just putting it in there that there are starting to see some, uh, we're starting to see some stress cracks, Steve. Yes. Good way of putting yes. it? Totally. All right. Thank you very much. I knew that. I just wanted to ask you to get confirmation that it was a good way of putting it. <laughs> so we're going to move along to the next song now because we still have a whole bunch to talk about. The third single 
on Seven and the Ragged Tiger came out in April of 1984. Now, speaking of number one hits, this was their next number one hit. It hit mm-hmm. number one in the UK as well as the United States. And it was a little song called The Reflex. Now, before I get into playing this, I, let's talk about it a little bit. Yes. Um, one thing that I can say, several things actually, is it became the band's most successful single to date. Yes. And uh, it was the second single to drop the UK singles charts after Is There Something I Should Know. Mm-hmm. So... Here's here's another little fun fact about this. Uh, there was this song that was played by this young young upstart by the name of Bruce Springsteen that was just fucking smashing the mm-hmm. charts, and it was called "Dancing in the Dark." This was sort of like a, this is what this is what put Bruce Springsteen on my radar. To be quite honest with you, yeah. I'm sure that has to do with age, mm-hmm. but I, I mean I heard the name before, but I really knew nothing about Bruce Springsteen until I saw "Dancing in the Dark." So this video is just killing MTV. It's killing the radio. And there were only two singles that were able to knock it out of the top spot. Do you know what they are? I do, only because I had it. I, I memorized the thing I wrote about this. <laughs> hey, so fair enough. Go you did your it. homework. Go for it. Well, these people don't know. I don't think. Maybe no. some of you do. So obviously, one of those was The Reflex. The second one, and I'm happy to say that it was this, was Prince's Wind Doves Cry. God, there was some good music coming Gee, out back then. How good is that That intro to Wind <laughs> You know what's funny, dude? I was reading over the notes before we started and I'm just, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like that riff that he does is just so sick. So the band wanted this to be the lead single off seven and the ragged tiger, but their label was kind of worried about it. And what worried them about it was this kind of warbling sound that they do in the song where they say, why don't you use it? Which is like, why don't you use it? Sorry guys, my voice is shit, but that's what it was. And so they were a little reluctant to make that the single. They ended up putting it out, but it was supposed to be like their main one, the one that was going to hit. You know, it was basically it was supposed to be Union of the Snake. They end up making this song as a single. They loved the song, but there was something that all the band members always felt. It just needed a little bit of something. Okay, it just there was just something about it that wasn't quite popping. Mm-hmm. They they liked it. They liked the way they their lyrics. They liked everything about it. But after listening to the studio cut, something wasn't popping. Let's mm-hmm. go back to Australia now and talk about In Excess. So. In Excess, that song, Original Sin, is produced by Niles Rogers. Mm -hmm. So guess who they decide to come in and help them make this song much better? None of the Niles Rogers. So just to put it in perspective, I can't play a lot of this, but I do want you to hear what the original sound like, the intro, and then we'll go ahead and play the Niles Rogers version. So you get the idea. Ooh, now, one thing that I will have to say with you is I, I honestly disagree with you. I don't think it's bad. I think it needed something. It's like when you're, you get a good meal and you're like, man, it's just missing like some garlic or maybe a little bit of salt or pepper or something like that. I don't think this song is trash. I really don't. I mean, the thing is, compared to their other stuff, it's not nearly as clean. No, but it's They're ambitious. In, it's ambitious, but normally the intro is so exact. This seems like people were just playing whatever for the intro. That is not Duran Duran. Luckily, they go ahead and they decide to make a remix uh, for both the 7-inch and the 12-inch single, and they bring in Niles Rogers of Schick fame. Um, it was actually his first work with the band, and he would later go on to produce The Wild Boys, which is another big hit of theirs, and a couple of singles. Uh, maybe you heard of them. Notorious was another one. And then he also did several tracks on Astronaut, which was their comeback album with the full band. Okay? But let's let's hear. So you just heard the first version, the album version. This is what happens with Niles Rogers involved. Yes, dude. <laughs> 
the bat off the jump it just sounds so much more full there it's got so many more elements to it that bring this song to life and something very important that's going on is that nick rhodes and nile rogers just happened to get mixer uh, excuse me samplers at the same time so they had brand new samplers that they were playing with while he was remixing this so a lot of that that you hear in the song now folks i know that thing exactly flex that kind of stuff they weren't doing that that's hip-hop stuff yes that's what we were doing and niles was like yo i bet you i could take what these cats are doing and he did and the the genius part was that i don't even know how we thought of it first of all if someone said if dan was like hey i got this song steve here are the vocals to this song make something new he did such a good job with just vocal stems take this and just make it 10 times better we can't go into the studio and re-record everything just take this exactly gee what it's the the same vocal track same (laughs) instrumental tracks but now you're dealing with a roland jupiter 8 keyboard dude and and nick rhodes is now able to do steel drums you know what i mean and it just made the song that much more fuller and flavorful. Oh, it was just dude. a fantastic song. Now, as far as singles go on this album, this is definitely my favorite. I remember like like it was yesterday sitting down and watching this on MTV. They actually did the video while on tour for Seven and the Ragged Tiger, and they shot it all the footage at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Little fun fact, it was done on March 5th, 1984, and directed by Russell Mulcahy, I believe is what it is, or Mulcahy. They filmed some other stuff on location, uh, different indoor arenas and stuff like that. And this is actually going to come in a little bit later when they release their live video concert. It's funny because I was reading an interview with John Taylor. He, yeah. was, he was worried. He said, what if we don't have it? This song made them think we don't have it anymore. Because they said, we all finished the song and did our best and listened to it. And they're like, oh, no. It's good because they thought it was good like you did. But they're not used to good. They're used to walking out thinking, oh, next. You know, this is a number one hit. They're like, this isn't. It's a song that our fans will like. But it's not a game changer. Because they said, we heard, John Taylor said, there is a hit in here. Like a monster hit. Yeah. But we can't do it, which made John Taylor. It just needs a little something. They need something. And they said, they sat around saying, maybe we don't have it. What, What is that conversation, Dan? What if we don't have it anymore? Oh, is this the end for us, mates? That's what they're thinking. I think it is, Simon. Gee, he said we've never had trouble writing anything. It's never been an issue. We could just done. And then he was like, you know, like you said, you know, that Niles guy, maybe they called him and they're like, hey, can you do something with this? And he's like, not a question. He heard he was like, oh, no, there there is something in here. You guys just have it all. It's a puzzle that you guys have the pieces for. And so. John Taylor specifically said when he heard the ruh, 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 he's like, oh my God. Oh my God. And then he was just like, when he heard the um, why, yeah, 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 what, what, why, 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 he's like, dude, the guy's a genius. He said he's changed the song into something brand. And then he had that why, why, why with, with the uh, snare drum that bop, 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 bop. I was like, okay, Niles Rogers is a genius. It's over. Yeah, he was it's, smoking it. Oh, he is a 
And then he also turned down some instrument, like during the chorus and verse, there's certain instruments he just turned, he, he took away. He's like, we don't need all these. Just the basic is what we need. He's like, everybody calm down. Yes. Right? <laughs> like in the beginning, bo, bo, bo. He's like, we just need the keyboard, bass drum, that da, 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 da. That's all. Put your we triangles and your tambourines other, away. Yeah, we like, we don't need all that other stuff. And it sounded like Duran Duran again. I'm like, that's what Duran Duran sounds like. It's pretty amazing, right? When you think about that, you are Duran Duran, but you have to bring in an outside ear Dude. to find out what Duran Duran's supposed Dude. to sound like. Dude. <laughs> How in, and it's sad because I would have just liked to be in that 10 minute or an hour conversation where they're like, what if we don't have it anymore? Like we've never had to work this hard on a song. And it's weird that the reflex is the one that did it to them. Yeah. They're like, it's a hit in here that we can't hear. We just can't crack the code. We can't crack the code. And they, I would have given up. It was smart of them to say, no, we don't throw this one away. There's something here. We don't throw it away. We just give it to someone. What is Nick Rhodes thinking when he's just like, it's bigger than me. I'm unable. Nick Rhodes and John Taylor, we're like, they're like, we're unable to do this. Dude, I think he's thinking ego. bring in Niles Rogers because he was one of their biggest fans. He was all in the chic at the time. I still wouldn't give it to him if I was the if I was the person in that group, Nick Rhodes. I'm not giving it to because I feel like it's my thing. I'm good at this Duran Duran thing. For him to bow down and say here. Yeah, you have to put down your ego and Dude. look at the bigger picture and decide what like they knew this was their baby. They knew that this was going to be a hit. They just didn't know how to figure it out. So it's so egoless, dude. Yeah, that's fantastic. That, and it ended up making the song so much better. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Reflex, favorite song. Oh. <laughs> Good song. Not my favorite song, yeah. but I think it's, 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 it's um, definitely my favorite off the, off the album. Favorite. Yeah, for uh, off the album, it is definitely my favorite. We are going to be talking about my favorite song of all time from them. I know what it is, and I know why, no, too. You don't, you don't know. I think I do. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to give spoilers. Okay, but do, I you think give I do. The, do you believe when Doves Cry should have kept this out? Um, well, you, you're asking an older your Dan Ramirez versus yeah. a younger Dan Ramirez. So at the time, I was just starting to get into Prince. Yeah. So I was already into Duran Duran, so I think I would have had an allegiance. Yes. But if you ask me now, yes, definitely. I, but know, this is a Duran Duran podcast. This isn't a Prince podcast. Dude. I know, but it's an interesting because now looking back, being like, Reflex was an amazing song. No one knew the backhand drama. They just knew they dropped a, an amazing song. Yeah. But if I just hear the song and then I hear Windows Cry, yeah, dude. It's that's, I could see why those are now Dancing in the Dark. I'm not, I don't know how that kept it out. <laughs> like, how? I don't even understand that. <laughs> the reflex is a better song. I think everything was, uh, it was very blue collar time in America. Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Okay. You got that. Yes, and Springsteen right. just has a huge following, man. Okay, I mean, those, those it. people came out in full force, but I okay. think that's what it was. It was a, a, a blue collar kind of movement you know what? in America right. at the time. He's the, Amer like out here, he was the, oh, he was the face of a, of like a hard working American. There it is. Oh, my bad, dude. You're right. You know, I didn't even think about that. I, I think that's what it is. Maybe that. I'm full of shit, but that's what I think. No, there's no... When you see Duran Duran next to Bruce Springsteen, you want to root for Bruce. Right. Bruce would totally kick their right. asses. 
You're totally He's got right. like the headband on and the jeans and the <laughs> the muscle shirt that was a, a button-down white shirt at one point. He was going to kick their asses in a muscle shirt. Is what you I'm ain't saying. even lying. And yeah. you know what? That's what it was. That's totally so. what it was, dude. And, and one more thing about the reflex. Um, the older version of me, me now, totally gets it, right? But when the 12-year-old version of me is not feeling the remix song. I had been used to the original reflex. So when Niles Rogers came in, my 12-year-old ear was not quite prepared for that to really appreciate what was going on. So the why, yeah, 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 and all that actually turned me off when I heard the remix version. Now I totally appreciate it, but for a while I was like, I don't like this version. I really had to kind of, my ear had to mature before I could really appreciate it. Well, the only that's the only one I ever heard. Like the, whenever I hear the reflex, I didn't know it was Duran Duran number one. So when you- Oh, when you I went first, backwards. Yeah, I never had like I didn't know that was the reflex. I didn't know that it was the um that that was them that was sung that song until I started listening on uh you know like YouTube and looking for that song. I'm like, "Oh, it's Duran Duran." But I had been I'd raised I'd heard that song all through my life, but only that version. The only song I heard on the radio was that version. Yeah. So I could totally see you going back and listening to the original and being like, "Oh, what's oh, going yeah. on?" I was here? like, "What the hell is this?" It's like because- walking into your house and it's been robbed. Because the only, like, when I get hits, like, oh, 80s hits, monster hits, they never have the original on the monster hits version. They only have the remix version. That's the one that's on the hits of the 80s, hits of the 80s. Because that's, I mean, for that, that's the only one I, I used to hear. And I think, again, if it wasn't for another song, I would say that this is my favorite song that they've done. If it wasn't for another song, similarly in, 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 in setup. Okay. So go on. Yes. I can feel it. I love it. Love this song. Love the song. And every producer needs to listen to both of these songs. And if you can do this, that's a big deal. If you can take someone's okay and make it another, like a genius song, that's huge. But every producer listening, listen to what Niles Rogers did. Yeah. There are some fantastic note-taking opportunities. Note-taking. There we go. Note taking opportunity because I'm sure that we could all learn something from this. Every person totally. even plays an instrument. Just take notes. I think that's that. That's what they were kind of doing with his influence is imitating some other yes. styles. Yes. And, you know, they some say that imitation is the best form of flattery. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why Niles was so into it. Like, oh, yeah, they're feeling what I'm doing here. And that's why he stuck around with them. You know what I mean? He really did. And He's even toured with them. And, you know, the thing is, I think they're just good people from what I've heard. They seem like really nice guys. Just nice people to be around. And he liked being around them, as he talked about later. He's just like, being around them, we just vibed. There was never a take that take again. And Simon was like, again. He was like, he just would always just go in there and just do it. Yeah, there's something to be said for chemistry. Yes, dude. Yes. So, yeah, that's I love the reflex, man. I can listen to it over and over again. I listen to it in the gym all the time. That's what Steve works out to, and that's why he looks all sexy, ladies. So if you want to get sexy, have your man get sexy. Just put on the reflex. Then he can flex for you. Oh, yeah. While this is going on, they're actually on a world tour, which is why they got the reflex video. It was their first global tour, and it was their first major stadium tour in the United States. This is going on for four months in 1984. All the while, they have this film crew that's led by a guy named Russell, again, McKay. I apologize, sir. I just don't know how to say your name. Uh, Maybe it's McKay. Followed the band very closely, and he did this documentary. It's what I was talking about before. It, it was a, also an accompanying concert film and album called Arena. Uh, very cool, very like artistically shot. 
And I loved it a lot. And the live album was great because they are able to, if you're not familiar with Duran Duran's live sound, they are, especially back then, they were very capable of like emulating studio sound live. They just had it. Simon LeVon's voice was like gold and he could just do that. You know what I mean? So the live album actually sounds very good. Um, along with the live album, they did a single track that was called The Wild Boys. And this is one that went to number two on both sides of the pond. Yeah, that song. Very different. Yes, I'll say that. That's the best yeah. way to say it. I will okay. tell you right now that I never really cared for the song that much. I liked the album, Arena, the live album, but this is where, like I said, it was starting to go off in a d- different direction. And I don't know if it had to do with my age at the time, but it just wasn't really like my favorite song. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what kept it out of number one? I'm going to guess, dude. Tell me the week. If you don't mind me, tell me what year was was put out. Because I'm going to sure. guess. Because there's only a few that ran 1984. It was around February of 1984. Oh, now I got to look it up, Jay. Hell no. I got to find out. Go ahead. Keep on going. So in 1984, the band appears on the cover of Rolling Stone. Uh, they win two Grammys in the brand new long form and short form videos. And I'm assuming that is going to be for Save a Prayer. Excuse me, not Save a Prayer, but New Moon on Monday. Because again, they went really grand with that. Meanwhile, Save a Prayer is gaining momentum again in North America because of this special remix that they put out. It came out in January 1985, and it actually hit number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 in March. Um, There's a live version that goes along with it, and it's included with the B-sides, and it's taken from video footage from the Arena Tour. It's called As the Lights Go Down. Okay. Also, Sing Blue Silver comes out. It's covering the 1983-1984 World Tour, and it was directed by Michael Collins. And I've actually seen this. It's a 60-minute it's a edited version. It's like a documentary with live performance in it. Okay. It aired on several different networks, uh, but on MTV, it came out, and it was called Blue Silver by itself. Okay. Listen to this. It came out in VHS and Betamax. And later Jeez. on, because of technology, Laserdisc, near the end of 1984. Um, they It was a reissued DVD in April of 2004. It's, people love this. It's actually a beloved thing from Duran Duran. And also in 1984, there was a book that came out, same title, and it just had a bunch of like um, images in it from Dennis O'Regan, who was their tour photographer. The title, Sing Blue Silver, comes from a song that we talked about on the last episode, you know, a million years ago, of course, called The Chauffeur which yes. came out in 1982. My favorite Duran Duran song, period. Of all time? Of all time. Oh, cool. It's just a song that hits me. I love the way it, it's sung. Um, it's kind of creepy. It's got a creepy element to it. And I just, I liked it a lot. But there are more, there's definitely more like danceable and, and more palpable songs, but The Chauffeur is my favorite. Does it make you cry, Dan? No, it doesn't make me cry. No, okay. not at all. I got, oh, I found out who knocked it out the first uh, place. There, who was it? I'm going to give, I'm going to see if you can get it. It's a Madonna song. Like a virgin. Yep, and then it was a, and then it was a uh, all in oats song. <laughs> Man eater. No, it's out of touch. Oh yeah, I forgot I lo- about that song. <laughs> I love me some hollow notes, dude. I ain't gonna front. <laughs> that was the number one song. <laughs> yeah, they went through this. There was a point where hollow notes was ripping it up. That and is again, crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> 
And again, thank you, MTV. Oh, totally yeah, MTV depends. The I'm because they look yeah, so I'm different. I'm certain of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my! So they were humongous then. <laughs> yeah, out of touch. That's another story. But Hollow Notes <laughs> has some jams. I'm sorry. Out of so you remember out of touch? Good song, man. Now I see why Duran Duran's like dog. We have to change some. When Hall of Notes is beating you, you have to change something. Let's knock out Daryl Hall and Baba Booey. I always thought John Oates looks like Baba Booey from the Howard Stern Show. He does, kind of. <laughs> he totally does. I didn't even think about that. Is he Hispanic? I, John Oates. Or is he a brother? Oates. I don't know what he was. I just know he looked like Gary Delabate from the Howard Stern Show. He had that curly hair and that mustache. Very 80s mustache. And he doesn't have an ego. To be an Oats, you have to not have an ego. Totally. Yeah, exactly. When you're, it's like, and, and Garfunkel. Exactly. And you have to be. But yeah, um, that's, that's, I can see, the, I can smell the winds shifting. But there's still some success that's going to happen here. There's still things that are going on with Duran Duran. They're still going on, but it is happening. The yes. transfer is in the, pro- where you're talking, even with the DVDs or the Betamax is coming out. The transfer is happening, which happens for every, except the Beatles. The Beatles is the only group in history that did not get a transfer. That's unheard of. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing all this, you know, shiny, silvery stuff on the, on the surface, of Bingo. course. But yeah, of course, troubles are brewing in the yes. background. Yes. And, and we just don't are, know it yet. People are getting popular. Yes. The transfer, yeah, the transfer of power is happening. Again, like I said, Beatles, only people that never suffered the transfer of power. I don't know how that didn't happen. They just never suffered that. But you have to be ready for it because it's going to happen. Freaking hauling out. I'm, I'm joking. They're good. <laughs> they're good. No, seriously. I'm, I think I, they're I, fantastic. They are really. I have a lot of their songs. It's just such a jarring thing that Duran Duran gets beat out by from Bruce to when Doves. To now, like a virgin, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Then hauling oats, and you're like, oh, it's happening. The eighties were a very versatile time. There yes. was just so many different genres of music that were hitting people's ears correctly, and there was one component that was making that happen. Again, ladies and gentlemen, say MTV. it with me: MTV. Exactly. Also, it's the uh, is it is it in your opinion? Is there some weird Americanization happening with Bruce, the hardworking man? You know, like a virgin Madonna, the American girl. Uh, Hall of Notes. I mean, they're just as you know staple as possible. Do you think that's happening? There's definitely some kind of a movement. Yeah, okay. I think America's embracing itself. That's unfortunate. And its versatility. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah, the UK aversion, uh, invasion is kind of going away. Somewhat. I, I think it's. I think it went in waves back then. To be honest with okay, you. Okay. Cool. You know, because right. new wave wasn't completely dead yet in 1984. Okay. Cool. Not that it ever died, but of course, there's just different types of genres that come in and start taking the forefront. Mm-hmm. A lot of pop. We started getting into pop. You're totally right. Because George Michael, humongous. Wham, huge. And they were from the UK. So you're right. So just a little bit more in the year of 1984 before mm-hmm. we, we get going on. And by the way, guys, like I said, we were focusing on Seven and the Ragged Tiger. We're going to get a little bit quicker as we move along now for time's sake. But we will finish the story. This was funner than I thought it was going to be, dude. I'm glad you're having fun, man. Jesus, I'm learning a lot. It's so fun listening to new stories and God, they were a good band. Anyway, go ahead. Right around this time period, it's the end of 1984, Steve. Mm -hmm. And there is this, um, we had, we are the world already. We are the world's already hit. Were they in? They were not. However, 
British musical acts got together and they did something that was kind of an equivalent to it. Heal never quite made. Well, it world. never. Yeah, yeah. It never quite. Here's the deal with that song. It was well, a feed um, the world, not feed heal the world. Feed the feed world. the world. Right. Yeah. That but was a good song. it was. But it was also a Christmas song. You know, we had we are the world. There was hands across America. There was a lot of these movements that were going on groups getting together and making these songs for benefit purposes. But this one was a, a kind of niche because it ended up being a Christmas song. It's called Do I They Know it's, it's Christmas. Oh, that's right. And but then you had Lionel Richie, Quincy, and Michael working on We Are the World. That's yeah, a Billy hard... Joel, Cindy Lauper, Huey Gee. Lewis. I mean, when you, know, you got I mean, those three writers in the right. room together, it's hard yeah. to beat that group. But I like Feed the World. I loved it. And there was other versions too, like just to talk about it real quickly, not to get off subject, but like Metal bands were doing it back then. They had one called, that. it was called We're Stars or Stars, I believe it's what it's called. And it was like, you had Wasp and Motley Crue and Dokken and all those bands did a, did a version. This was kind of a trendy thing. I think someone was like, hey, it worked for them. Let's do it too. And there was a lot of money that was circulating at that time to benefits because of these songs. If you don't mind me saying, that really touches my heart that the rock, rock stars did that. They didn't have to do that. You got some feelings, huh? Well, yeah, it kind of messed me up. I didn't know that Motley Crue and then got together and did that. Yeah, it was actually, I think it was organized by Ronnie James Dio. If I, And I'm just totally going off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it was organized by Ronnie James Dio. He brought them all together and they made this song called Stars. She, and it's very so um, representative of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it sounds like an 80s song. I should play a little bit, but I got to keep going. But uh, it's called fine, Stars. Though. It's supposed to be. And remember, we talked about Motley Crue a few weeks ago, about a month ago or whatever. The fact that they were doing all this, someone called and said, hey, we want to do a benefit. Considering their life at that time, that they said, yeah, we're going to take time out and do that thing. That's a hell of a thing, dude. So, yeah, more power to the rockers. That's I will dope. be honest with you. I'm I'm lumping Motley Crue in there oh, okay. because they, they sort of. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. They, they, they had to be there is what I'm thinking. But I don't have like okay. literature in front of me saying they were. But okay. Motley Crue was one of the biggest metal bands on the planet at that time. I'm pretty sure they were there. I just don't, it's the same idea. They're having different people singing. They have different guitar solos. It's the same thing. It's just in hard rock form. I have never heard of this. This is amazing. I learned something today. Go on. Holy crap, Dan. Yeah, watch it on YouTube, man. I, oh, I'm going to as soon as we're done. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. So yeah, um, Simon Le Bon contributed to this. He actually sang between George Michael and Sting in this. So that's not a bad combination to be in. That's a, that's a sandwich of sorts. That's a really good sandwich. That's a good place to be. Well, he has a great voice, though. All three of them had fantastic voices, and that song was... You know what? Every Christmas, I just play the shit out of that song, so it's still with me. Yes. Getting back to Duran Duran, Steve, this is where things start to get a little iffy, okay? Mm -hmm. The band is still together. They decided to tour and then take a break. So on this break, the individual members start getting kind of antsy. They want to make new music, and it leads to this kind of a temporary split between the two and they end up resulting in two different side projects. Okay. The first one and my favorite of the two is the power station. The power station consisted of Duran Duran's bassist and guitarist, John Taylor and Andy Taylor, uh chic drummer, Tony Thompson. And then of course the vocalist, Robert Palmer. Gee, do you know what it was called? What? Here, here in aid, here in aid, here in aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I forgot the name of it, to be honest with you. I just remember. It was like, we're stars. I just remember oh, that part. Oh, but by the way, more than you yeah. can imagine were involved with this. No, a ton. I just don't remember off I the top mean, of my head. Holy crap, yeah. dude. I just threw that in as a little bonus thing. But and yeah, they had like seven tracks. Everyone did like different tracks 
on the album. It's like a, a CD. All of them did a different song for the benefit. And then they did that one big song together. Because they're stars. Because, dude, <laughs> now I love them all. Now I love them all. I don't even know who Scorpions are. Let's not do that right now. We're going to go down a big rabbit hole. Um, are they that big? <laughs> Stop it, Steve. <laughs> anyway, go on. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Anyway, go ahead. Getting back to the power station, Steve, <laughs> they released two top 10 singles. Okay. They were I kind of, a, know that. they were sort of known as a rock funk super group, if you will, okay, yes. with quotes around it. Uh, two of those singles. One of them was Some Like It Hot. The other was Get It On, Bang A Gong, which was a cover of T-Rex's hit back in the day. So I'll just play a real quick little sample of that. Okay. Some like it hot and some sweat when the heat is on. I've heard that song before, but I just liked it. I, you know, I never really grasped onto the full album or anything, but I was kind of like, okay, this is cool. I like what they're doing because it definitely showed that they were a little bit more edgy and they were definitely throwing more rock influences to it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Then of course, and I'm not going to play it, but they did get it on bang a gong, which is a T-Rex song. Like I said, Google it folks. It's, it's worth listening to. So power stations going on. And again, like I say, like I said, they released two top 10 singles. Also, at the same time, <laughs> now this is a different story, we're dealing with Arcadia. So Simon LeBon and Nick Rhodes, they wanted to kind of explore that Duran Duran sound a little bit more, so they formed Arcadia. And they only did one song that even stood out to me. Quite honestly, I just didn't care for it at all. It was called Election Day. Mm-hmm. There was clear reason that they should just be sticking with Duran Duran. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't mean to be, like, I couldn't write this song, but it definitely was not anything really worth bragging about and writing home about. You know, honestly, I'm not even going to wait around for the chorus for it. But if you can kind of hear it, they were sort of taking what they had done on Seven and the Ragged Tiger and they wanted to sort of go that direction again. And not everyone was feeling it, and which is why we got two separate bands. Thoughts on those bands? Have you heard? Have you heard Arcadia? I have. Before? I did not like Arcadia. And I think I didn't like Arcadia because whoever was doing the. Uh, OK, this is assumption. But whoever they had doing Arcadia did not know how to record Simon LeBon's, uh, LeBon's uh, vocals. They had some big names on this, though. Uh, let's see. So contributors to that album included guitarist Masami Tushia. I'm not mm -hmm. familiar. Bassist Mark Egan. Mm -hmm. Percussionist David Van Tegum. Now they had drummer Steve Jordan, Sting, and Herbie Hancock, as well as a guy named David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. Some of you may have heard of it. I'm sure you have. And Roger Taylor actually came in and did some some tracks on that album too. So he came back and he did some drumming for that one. But he didn't. He wasn't like a uh, a full member of the band. Anyway, this is coming from Nick Rhodes. He said these two side projects were commercial suicide. He says, but we've always been good at that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's always been good at that? Like they've just done a bunch of bads. Oh, stop it. I think he's just being modest, but I don't think that he's inaccurate when he was saying that. Like if they would have kept going this way, commercial suicide for sure. Oh, for sure. No question. They just would have, they would have disappeared into, you know, obscurity. That's funny to me. 
<laughs> commercial suicide. Yeah, I know. Stop He's just it. being modest. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to Duran Duran. So 1985 rolls around, and there is a movie that comes out. It's a James Bond movie, and it's called A View to a Kill. They were asked to actually perform the theme. So as we know, at least I think you know this, that most Bond songs, their their theme songs are usually done by major artists. And the reason that I saw this movie, A View to a Kill, was simply because of this song. They come out, they do a, the same title, and the video is... Um, it's like spy stuff. They're on the on the Eiffel Tower and there's, you know, talking on their little intercoms and stuff like that. And they do this like spy thing. I really liked it. I thought it had a cool spy sound to it. And I'll just play a little bit of that just so you can see what I'm talking about. You didn't like that song very much, huh? No. I really liked it. And I got to tell you that when we saw them and back in like things like 2005, when they played that song, you ever see concerts where everyone's just like bouncing at the same time? It was was maybe. So I don't know. Maybe that kind of revived my love for it. But it was like one of the funnest parts of the concert when I saw it. Everyone was just so into it. And yeah, it's actually one of my favorite Duran Duran songs. Wow. Wow. They don't wow me, buddy. That's how I feel. I know, but it, I did not know that that was uh, one of your favorite of all time. Because I gave you that one, right? Yes. So if I'm making a playlist, it's always going to be in there. If it's a Duran Duran one, guaranteed I'm going to put that song on for sure. Do you know how they got that gig for View to a Kill? The crazy no. story behind Like, that's a legendarily crazy story. I won't be able to match your story because I'm going to have to think about it. So please enlighten me. So one day, we already know uh, View to a Kill is... is uh, <laughs> Is the last they, what they call this thing is the last gasp of the original lineup. This song, the last hurrah, the last hurrah of the original lineup. Um, they, he said, uh, obviously John Taylor hates the video. He said it is terrible. I haven't seen the video. Have you? I've seen it before, but like I don't remember it that well, so I'm not. Nothing's like coming to mind. I, it was more of the song that I liked as okay. opposed to the video. So anyway. After, um, so one day, John Taylor was at a party. <laughs> he approached a movie producer named Chubby Broccoli. Real name of a movie That's a producer. fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> That's the fucking name of the week That's right there. I That's said, a Heroes of oh, Noise dude. name of the week, Chubby <laughs> Broccoli. Chubby, and I said, oh, you don't have to say anything more about this crazy looking story. I'm in. <laughs> Chubby Broccoli. Sign said, me up. He walked up to this movie producer. He's drunk, mind you. Everyone who's anyone is at this thing. He walks up to Chubby Broccoli and says, quote, when are you going to get someone decent to do one of your theme songs? Oh, you know what? I have read that before. Yeah. That's such a good quote. This led to him being like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay. Next day, not remember what the hell he said. He gets a call. He's like, why don't you meet up with John Barry, the composer? And they're like, okay. All of them not thinking this is going anywhere. This is 007. People don't remember. It used to be huge. It's huge now, but it used to be like a special. The people who did the theme song 
was like, yeah. it wasn't, it was a big deal. So Simon LeBond says, he didn't really can't come up with any of the basic musical ideas. He heard what we came up with and he put them into order. He just let them be like, hey, do something natural. I, as the composer, will put the things together for you, for the orchestra, right? And he right. said, and that's why it happened so quick. He's like, all he did was take our ideas, arrange them. And he said, John Barry is a genius. Because he's like, do Duran Duran. And I will make Duran Duran 007. That's what happened. A random John Taylor drunken bump into saying, let somebody decent do it. He wasn't thinking him. He just said, your songs are trash. <laughs> and he's like, they're, they're like, I challenge you. You do it. That made me say, maybe the song's not great, but the story behind the song is legendary. That's Chubby Broccoli. <laughs> I mean, just for the name alone, that story was worth telling. Yes. And also, people, <laughs> shoot your shot. Just shoot it. You just don't know. Shoot your shot if you are in the vicinity. But wear protection. But wear protection. And be ready because they were ready. They said, okay. And each level they were ready. We'll meet with John Barry. Okay. We'll have something ready. Okay. We'll make sure you do the thing. Okay. Be prepared for that time. But shoot your shot, people. You might get a view to a kill. That's a Hudson hot take right there. <laughs> it inspired me. It inspired me. I'm like, dude, John. Did you shoot your shot? Um, I had a chance to shoot my shot. Legendary chances. And I didn't shoot them. So from here on, I'm shooting the shot. So if you go back to our Babadook series, you'll know what he's talking about. Oh, okay, let's move along. So this little concert takes place across the world, Steve, in July of 1985. You may have heard of it. It was featured in this little movie that came out last year called Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a little little gig, a little side gig called Live Aid. Maybe you heard about this? Live Aid. Yeah, sounds kind of familiar. Maybe ringing a bell. Oh, that little thing. That's the one. Okay. You know the one I'm talking about. Right, yeah, they had yeah. a few people on stage. Yeah. Oh, like new up Some cat coming. named Freddie Mercury was there. Yes. I don't even know who he is. He did a good job, I heard. I heard he did okay. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Just, just, yeah. Not, don't, let's not get crazy. I think he did I'm all true. right. It's not, I mean, it's not as good as your view to a kill level <laughs> performances, but he's good. I'm going to bring it back around because, no, obviously, Queen was there. So many bands were there. Queen did the most fantastic show ever. They actually had mentioned that Freddie Mercury's note heard around the world was like a highlight. They called it that the note heard around the world. It was a highlight when they were playing at the Wembley stadium. Now in America, Duran Duran's there and they're playing at John F. Kennedy stadium in Philadelphia. They come on, they do a great performance and then something happened, Steve. <laughs> Did you hear about this? <laughs> no, no, I want to hear though. <laughs> so getting back to a view to a kill. Duran Duran's up there killing it, right? And LeBon suddenly hits this off-key falsetto note. Oh and it's like really God. bad. How and the media, dude, the media just jumped on it so much. So they're talking about the note heard around the world by oh. Queen. They put out articles with the bum note heard around the world. And it just broke LeBon bad. He later said that he described that moment as the most embarrassing moment of his career. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that one. At Live Aid? At Live Aid, dude. Oh, and let me tell you why that makes such a big... For anyone who hasn't seen it, I know most of you have, but if you haven't, take into consideration that it wasn't that he had a bum note and everybody else did okay. He had a bum note and then the best performance in history happened, making that bum note even more realizing. 
realizable. Yeah. That is terrible. You could see people probably going like, you can sing like this and then playing Freddie Mercury Dude. or like this oh, and then playing Dan. his Miss No. Oh my God. Those things stick with you too. I remember, I think it was on the Grammys. Do you remember Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart? I totally, yeah. Great song. Dude, she did a performance, I think it was at the Grammys, and she botched it. When she says, I really need you tonight, she hit one of those notes. Ooh. And it's something that stuck with me. Like, I've only seen it one time. Never even watched it on YouTube or anything. But it stuck with me. So bad, she actually apologized after the performance. <gasps> like, on stage apologized. Oh, no. Yeah. I think she might have just said, like, excuse me or something like that. But well, she acknowledged it because it was so foul. It's not fair. Because no. any, most people, if you did a bad performance... People would notice, but whatever. But it would suck to be like, because then I could say the mics were bad, something was bad. But then when Freddie Mercury gets up there and destroys in the same stage, they're like, not the oh. same stage, actually. Oh, so you're aware it wasn't the same? No, because they were Live Aid was concert that took place in different parts of the world, as far as I know. I don't have but all my Live day. Aid literature. Same day, but they okay. were doing it from like different stadiums and they had screens. Oh, uh, I would you totally recall the Bohemian the Rhapsody? Yeah, people were watching the, on the screens. I would say it was the mics. Oh, all day. I'll be like, hold the mic one out. That's oh, what you're going with? Oh, That's dude. the story I'm sticking to? I will tell you right now, and I would not. I would pay the engineer. I would pay everybody on that stage or in that situation to be like, tell them the mic glitched. Done. Done. By the time it comes <laughs> out that it was false, people forgot about it. Gee, I'm, oh, I would have paid them off in a second. You kidding me? <laughs> you kidding me? He probably went I'm gonna... backstage and just drank himself into a stupor after That's that. That's what he did. But then, was it that? Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it before. Is it pretty bad? It's noteworthy. You should check it out. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I can't trash talk a LeBron, no man. We've all had our moments. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. and it's, I didn't I put it in there for nothing. Dude, I don't know if I could do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to watch it. You can do it. I, it makes me too. I don't like seeing other people embarrassed. You get like embarrassed for people yes, when you're watching it. that's why yeah, some office, like cer certain episodes of the office I can't watch because it's just too much. It just gets too uncomfortable. Yes. And I can't watch <laughs> Simon LeBon go out like that because his voice 99.9% .9 of the time is perfect. I, I don't know. We all have our moments, man. I can't do it. Anyway, I won't. But I can imagine it's probably, it's way better than people are making it out. They probably just found a flaw and ran with it. Maybe so, but it worked. Like, it's definitely, <laughs> it's, you are definitely, definitely it's why we're like, talking about it today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you remembered it. You remember it. I do remember it. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I didn't know that they were part of Live Aid. I had no idea. So things are going to start trucking now, okay? Because now we're getting to where we're going to get a split. And let's talk about that. And okay. then it's going to really start trucking. So okay. the rest of 1985 carries out pretty much without a flaw. I think that was a big enough flaw for them. Yeah. And suddenly 1986 hits. Now, after five years, Steve, of recording and touring cycles, the band loses two of its core members due to fatigue and tension within the band. So mm -hmm. in 1986, Roger Taylor is the first to leave. Right after Live Aid and the recording of Arcadia's album, Roger Taylor retired to the English countryside because he was suffering from exhaustion. And he originally said that it was going to be a one-year sabbatical, but sooner or later it came out that that was not the case. And there was an official press release issued in April of 1986 confirming his full departure from the band. That is crazy. Did, do you remember this day? I remember it was a sad day for me when Roger Taylor left. I was like, oh no, things are changed. It's not going to be the same anymore. He was kind of like the silent guy. Like he, he was always the one that was in the background. So Ringo. 
and it proved later on it he's a key component to Duran Duran's. So when you take out one element, it's not going to be the same, obviously, right? Uh, I will challenge that. Well, no, I was going to say sometimes it can improve if you get yes. a better drummer, but there's a, something to be said about chemistry and the way that totally. a band presents. I would say that it improved that Duran Duran got not worse, but better in certain ways after they left. But go on. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I'm very eager to hear what you have to say about yes. that. So in 2004, they were talking to Roger Taylor and he confirmed that his reasons was he was just completely burned out. He mm-hmm. says, I was exhausted. It was a very intense five years. We never stopped. It was constant touring, constant writing. It just broke him, basically. And he just said he lost himself and he needed to get back to who he was. A little bit later, Andy Taylor now decides to exit. Wow. That's a back to back. Yes. That's wow. a huge, huge loss right there. Jeez, dude. So he's gone. Um, he had various reasons, like in his book, Wild Boy. It just it had to do with ego. It had to book. do with tension, with management, several different reasons. And he just decided, I'm out. So he tells Duran Duran that he's going to do this solo project. He's going to go into L.A. and he's going to record it. And he eventually releases this solo album in 1986 called Thunder. You heard of it? Nope. Neither have I. So we'll move along. So the band resorts to legal measures to keep him in the studio. But like, he's just, he's got great lawyers and it's just dragging out and dragging out. And eventually they just go, screw it. Go ahead and go and do your thing. Best so course of action. That is, the yeah, best. don't have them. And also, did you notice that the reasons it's funny how, what you said came to fruition. What's that? You said every person, when I was like, I get everybody's different versions of what happened to the band. You're like, yeah, everyone's experience is their reality. Like like homeboy, uh, uh, Roger was, he wasn't built for this life. No, he was exhausted. Exactly. Whereas Andy was like, I'm not getting enough shine. Two totally different situations, even though they're living the same life. Same life, two different situations. It's amazing. Yeah, Roger never stuck me like he wanted it. He wanted the ego part of it. I think yeah. he just, just, he was happy being in the band. He loved the music, but it just got too much for him. Where, like you said, Andy Taylor, he wanted more of it. He wanted that forefront, that that so that spotlight weird. on him. Yeah. Same situations. They're totally different outcomes. Where it's just like, give me more. One dude is like, I want to play music, but I don't want all. I just, I can't. I can't anymore. And I love how you said Roger Taylor is like, I want to find out who Roger Taylor is again. I forgot. That's crazy. I need to find myself. Down. <laughs> That's my only word. <laughs> Andy Taylor rolls the bones, though. And then, mm-hmm. you know, now, if you're a dedicated Andy Taylor fan, you'll probably disagree with me. But I think to the majority of the Duran Duran fans, he basically just evaporated. And you didn't really see him very much anymore. You know what I mean? He was just kind of out of the picture for quite a while. So now this leads us to a new era of Duran Duran. We now have a three-member band. Mm-hmm. The key, And we got, so now let's just take a little roll call. We've got Simon LeBon on vocals, Nick Rhodes on keys, and, of course, John Taylor on bass. They go on without a guitarist or a drummer, and they record some of their finest music that they've recorded ever, Dude, I think. this is the key. They also brought along somebody that is the key. You're right. It's <laughs> Niall Rogers comes on. He oh, plays a few tracks. Dude. So now, you know, you have Duran Duran. You have that sound that made them mm-hmm. huge, but now he's, like, funking it up a little bit. Yes. They include Steve Ferroni to play drums while they search for replacements. You know anything about him, Steve? Yes. He is a session drummer that, like, at that time, people were climbing to work with. And uh, we're going to get into a certain song that actually cemented the fact that all these people are going to work together. There is a certain song we're going to talk about where they're like, yep, we're a, this can happen. That's the one. Because one person, like, all three of them still, when Dan is saying this, they're thinking, 
we might not be who we thought we were. Because before they could ask for whatever price they wanted for studio time. Like, hey, give us this budget. This, now, the, now the company is saying, huh, do we want to invest? And you know, Dan, what studio prices can be. They're like, do we want to invest blah, blah, millions of dollars into this now three-man group? Or do you guys just want to call it? Like, it's okay. And so what's happening when Dan is talking right now is they're, they're figuring out, can we do this again? And they don't know. They come up with their answer very soon. Oh, though. dude, they come up with, anyway, go on. So in September of 1986, they actually round out their recording lineup. Their session guitarist, they bring in a guy by the name of Warren Cucurulo. I always have a hard time saying his name, who was the former missing persons guitar player. He also played for Frank Zappa's band. They hire him as a session guitarist, and the three of them go in with him, and they record the rest of the Notorious album. And this comes out in 1986. It produces two hits. One of them is kind of, well, three, but one of them is a little bit questionable. The three hits were Skin Trade, Meet El Presidente, and of course the self-titled track, Notorious. Let's, let's hear a little bit of that real quick. So Notorious goes to number two in the U.S. and number seven in the U.K. The band has kind of found what they were missing. The people are trusting Duran Duran. I think a lot of fans were a little bit weary. I know I was because you don't have those original members again. But they got a plan going on. And they end up making this great, fantastic song like you just heard, Notorious. Um, Steve, I know that you had mentioned earlier that you had some comments about Notorious. Okay, so this was kept out of the spot by a Bengals song. Can't hate on that. Walk Like I'm an Egyptian was a... I mean, to this day, right? It's kind yeah, of a beast of a song, whether a you like it or not. Be- and people that say this is a bad song, I'm like, oh, you don't know good music. I'm I'm willing to say that. You should know what a hit is. That's a hit. Like, okay, so anyway, um, what is the funny thing is they refer, they have a reference to Andy Taylor and Roger leaving on this song. The reference is, who gives a damn for a flaky bandit was directed at Andy Taylor. That ain't right. I, that's what I, I was like, okay, dude. <laughs> the fact that that was like, oh, you took a jabbing shot purposely, at, which is fine. Dude, is this the first diss track? It, are you wondering the same thing? I'm oh, thinking it might not. be. I don't think it is. It's um, there was uh, uh um, Kumo D had already done it. Okay, but again, Duran Duran being innovators, they were part of that. They were one of the first diss tracks. You got to give them that, man. For sure. And uh, John Taylor, he said, I refer to this track as the survival song. (laughs) (laughs) Because he said, if this doesn't hit. We're done. We're done. And he said, this is the first time they've been in a room where they said they could say, in all honesty, we're not the biggest band in the world. They said, we could say that now. We had never been that for the last five years. It's pretty strange. And so Niles Rogers, he said, uh, uh, they're like, do we have a hit in this? Niles Rogers also brings in a group called the Borneo Horns. That made all the difference. A horn section on a Duran Duran song. That's unheard of. But they said, Niles, if you say that we should, then we should. So when you hear that, like, oh, this is. 
<laughs> after they said the first run through, when they heard the finished song, they looked at each other and was like, we still got it. Like they knew without a doubt that Notorious was a hit. I think it might be their funkiest song to date. No question. The drum track by itself, he's getting, it's almost like he said, hey, do whatever you want. Because he's getting off on that drum track. And the, and the fact that they did the reverse, they did Notorious backwards and then let it go forwards. I was like, only Niles Rogers. Because he had so much fun with that freaking sampling. He's it was like, an audiophile, man. Oh, dude. He, and the thing is, we, you notice, I notice, but people who really don't listen like that won't notice, but it's for him. He's like, did you hear that reverse? <laughs> it's for, because it made him. And the, the dope part is, when you hear the verse, it's going, and the chorus builds up to this huge thing, and then it goes, that's why, and then it all shuts down with just the bass, the horns, and the drum, where most people would keep it building. When they do the nut, 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 it's only bass, drums, horns. Just almost nothing. That all you hear is the nut, nut, notori. I said only Niles Rogers. I also think this might've been the first album where they had backing vocals, like female backing vocals. Oh, good point, dude. Yeah. That's so a they, really they, good point. So they definitely changed their sound up quite a bit, but they got lucky because not only is this going on, but the 80s are starting to come to, you're on the ass end of the 80s now. Totally true, dude. And music's totally changing true. again. You're right. So that that boy band, and they're not really a boy band, but that pop, new romantic thing that they yeah. were changed into yeah. something that was a little more atmospheric, like the Seven and a Ragged Tiger phase. Totally true. Now they're having to change again, and luckily Niles Rogers comes along and it helps them get funky again, and it, it kind of carries them into the next decade. So you know what? You're totally right. So yeah, Notorious, my favorite song ever done by uh, Duran Duran. I can listen to this song back to even my son. When I let him hear it, he's like, yeah, that track is dope. I'm like, it even transfers now to the point yeah. they're like, yeah, that track is nasty. <laughs> yeah, dude. I can't argue that. I know that back then when I was going through it, I was very disappointed. I was butthurt because yeah. my band had broken up to some degree. They'd separated. They'd been fractured. So I didn't really embrace Notorious. I knew it was a good song, but I didn't really embrace it. This point in mm -hmm. time is where I'm I'm kind of backing away from Duran Duran a little yes. bit. Still love all their other stuff, but I'm just, I don't know if it was more of a protest thing, but I just really was not, I was very reluctant to get involved with it. Mm -hmm. And now, listening to it from you know where I am now, it makes me want to go back and revisit all this music all over again and see what I can pull out. And really appreciate, you know? I mean, it's giving me less. Like, I redid certain things that I'm just like, that's too much. I listen to some of them. I'm like, that's too much. Niles Rogers is a genius of what are the essential aspects of this song? I don't. It's a gift he has, dude. He knows the essential aspects of a song. There's nothing happening in the during the verse of the song. What is it? The, the bass, drum, the boat. Uh, uh like the essential yes. hardly anything and he's just like yeah you don't need a bunch you need simon lebon's vocals and then when we do the pre-chorus into chorus that's where everything starts ramping up and i'm like dude that's this is i would recommend producers listen to duran duran anything with with him uh with niles rogers only because it's a producer's one-on-one it's producer one-on-one be like this is how you make a great song but you have to that's simon Bunty, that vocal track of simon i could listen to it uh, acapella it sounds really good dude here's the thing about this though you've lost two members right yes had it been simon lebon oh that totally. left 
Duran Duran ceases to exist it's because over. his his voice is Duran Duran. Yes, you can't put anyone else in there. I'm not saying they won't be talented and they won't make good music, but Duran Duran stops right then if you take At Simon Lebon. And also musicians, keyboardists, whoever, when they do this live, they don't transpose it. He's in the same key. I check. Oh yeah. No, he's fantastic. He, he still sings great. With the same, because that pre-chorus into chorus is high. Now, he might harmonize with some of his background singers, but even the lower part is still high for a guy. He's doing that. Not bad for a 50-something-year-old cat. Or is he no. 60? He's close if he's not. I mean, dude, most people, like you hear Billy Joel, um, bottle of red i'm like wait that's not the key that you're normally singing that song in yeah he lowers Billy joe can get close but he does have to lower it quite a bit he lowers it quite a bit simon lebon dude his voice good lord dude no i've always been impressed with simon lebon's vocals yes. and you're right he still kills it to this day that's low now you're starting that. to hear i know we're jumping forward a whole bunch but you're starting to hear the aging in his voice but he still sounds great Awesome. You're hearing the agent in my voice right now because I'm starting to lose it. So I'm sorry about that, guys. All right. we'll, we're, we're, get, we're, we're wrapping up anyway. This is where yes. we start to turn on the turbo boosters, yes. okay? let's do it. Uh, 1987, they decide to take on Sterling Campbell, who is this musician and songwriter who's worked with high-profile acts like the B-52s, Soul Asylum, Cindy Lauper, Spando Ballet, Gustavo Cerati, and David Bowie. They hire him. He's a session drummer. They finish the album up. And America's starting to embrace it a little bit. They're kind of digging on Duran Duran again. So that's, this is good. But they also go through different changes that affect the band in different ways. One of them, and probably the biggest one, is they dismissed their early managers, the Barrow Brothers. Uh, it was kind of like out of the blue. They didn't really announce it. They just decided to go ahead and part ways with them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, EMI, the company EMI, fires its president. And this is the president that's been with them ever since Duran Duran was recording with them. You know, it kind of helped them. He was a big part of their promotion. For whatever reason, the new management does not really, they're reluctant about promoting the band quite as much. And I think probably the biggest reason was, is that we're again, like I was saying earlier, we're getting like a genre change now. I don't think that they're as confident with Duran Duran as they used to be. And they're probably thinking with the way that music is changing around them, that they're not going to be as big as they were. So on that album, they didn't get the promotional push that they should have gotten, but it still was a fantastic album. Like, do you think after you would think they would have garnered some love after Notorious, but the 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 record label still did not feel like Duran Duran was the future. Right. And back then, like nowadays, bands self-promote. They yes. do their own thing. It's yes. a completely different environment, as Twitter. you know, ever since the addition yeah, of Napster. Totally, dude. Totally. And then, you know, and then of course later on social media, it became a completely different thing. But with Napster, that killed a lot of things. And and I think that killed a lot of like band promotion. So they're already kind of working against the the current. And what ends up happening is, oh boy, did you hear that? My voice is getting ready to go. Happening. <clears throat> you also so did walk in earlier. I know. I, dude, you I'm did, hurting. You right did now. now. You're like, but now I'm like, but hey, now, that was Grand Ram is making an album. <laughs> the next one they do is a big thing. But dude, you're doing can I tell you something? Yeah. This is your thing. Now go ahead. Go forward. Okay, thanks. This is your thing. I think this I appreciate is your, it. you found your thing. I mean, it's pretty strange. I've never heard this, Dan. It's pretty weird. This anyway, is my band. On. This is pretty crazy. Anyway, go on. I'm enjoying so, this one. Okay, I appreciate it. So we're really going to start turning it up now. We uh -huh. are just about to hit 1989. <clears throat> That's almost a decade in. Yes. 
and their next album comes out. It's called Big Thing. And it, there's a couple of singles on it that actually did pretty good. Uh, one of them was called I Don't Want Your Love, and this one hit number four in the charts in the oh. U.S., and then they did another one called All She Wants. I am going to not play any more audio just for the sake of time, but yes. we want to get through this story, okay? Yes. And besides, this is where we're trying to encourage you guys to listen to Duran Duran. So do the work on your own, man. You hear the songs, listen to them, then you can hear what we're talking about. So things are going fairly well. They're cohesive. They're they're touring. They're doing fine. And they now have Cucurulo, is their guitar player, as mm-hmm. a full band member. Things are coming out different, though. Duran Duran's sound has changed yet again. It's more mature. And quite honestly, people aren't really getting it like they used to. Yes. Because now it's the end of the 80s. Synth pop's going bye-bye. Duran Duran is now competing with Red Hot Chili Peppers, mm-hmm. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Tribe Called Quest, all these bands that are starting to come out. And they are starting to slip. They're going by the wayside. They of still course. have a strong following. Yes. But it is nowhere near the, the size and the... Um, uh, the gra- it's not as grandiose as Duran Duran used to be. It's and just one of these things where they're still they have a, a a very loyal fan base, but they are not in the forefront anymore. And also, this wave called gangster rap is now even white kids in the suburbs right are now trying to listen to who's this NWA? Yeah, it was a wave. NWA was taking over. And you have a song called "All to- She Wants." Dude. Competing with Boys in the Hood. Dude, and, and and even if you're not listening to them, like you just said, grunge is now a thing, and people might look down on people that still listen to Duran Duran. Yeah, grunge is now the biggest thing. See, there it is. It's over. It's over, dude. <laughs> it's over. I commend these guys for continuing on, because, you know, if I was playing I don't want this is just me if I'm playing I don't want your love or all she wants and then I hear smells like teen spirit it's over I am probably gonna pack it in (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean Kurt Kohu yeah yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and just let him do his thing it is over because it's like wow he's legitimately brand new like it's a new style yeah, the band's starting to kind of fade away a little bit. They do go on tour. Mm-hmm. They they finish their album and everything, and they have now a full five-man membership again. They have Warren Cucurulo, and they have Sterling Campbell, who's now, they're both made members of, like, official members of Duran Duran. Okay. They did a very smart thing right here, the record company. They do a compilation album. It's called Decade, Greatest Hits. Love this album because Fantastic. it's kind of That's like, good. it's Duran Duran 101, you know, uh-huh. and it comes out in 1989, and they also include a uh, what they called a mega mix single, uh, Burning the Ground. It consists, it's, if you remember, there was a, like a, a time where it was kind of a trend where they take like the greatest hits and they sort of weave them into one oh, yeah. single track. This oh, was yeah. like a, for a radio play kind of thing. They did this. I don't think it really did what they wanted them to do with it, but it did kind of keep them like winded and keep them alive. So 1990 comes around. They released an album called Liberty and it's really experimental. It's a big stretch from Big Thing, the last album that they did, but it's just it's starting to happen now, Steve. The band is starting to decline. Of course. They released a couple of singles. One of them was called Violence of Summer, and another one was called Serious, and they were just a little bit successful. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I'm really losing this voice. They were a little bit successful, but again, they're Duran Duran, and I think that, honestly, I think it has to do with that foundation, like I said earlier. If it wasn't for that foundation, I don't think people would be giving them the chance that they had, because... We loved this band so much. We want them to succeed. It's just that we're sort of forgetting about them now because we have all this, because Pearl Jam and Jane's Addiction yes, and all yes. this stuff's coming out. You know what I mean? It's yes. just crazy. It's a completely different time. So this is actually the first time with Liberty that they did not go on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, they just played like a handful of club dates and some TV shows. And then all of a sudden, Sterling Campbell says, I'm going to dip. I'm out. And he leaves in 1991. He goes to work with Soul Asylum. Again, getting to that alternative stuff, yep. college radio. David Bowie, he worked with too, but he ditched Duran Duran. So they decide we're going to keep going. We're going to be a quartet. 
So it's now Laban, Rhodes, Taylor, and Kurukulo. And they decide to go back into the studio. During this time, by the way, I'll, I'll just mention that John Taylor got married. He was at 31 years old. My man picked him up, a 19-year-old little model actress by the name of Amanda de Cadenet. Mm -hmm. And he has a kid. So, And I say this for a point because his life's changing again, too. They're you know what I mean? Like now he's men. They're growing into men, right? They're yes. married men with children now. And also, you know who, what else we forgot in 1999? What's that? Uh, um, uh, who was that? 89? Yeah, uh, Backstreet, not Backstreet Boys. Who are the names? New Kids on the Block. New Kids on the, anyone, like, I think they were, like, there was no more boy band thing for them. Like, these, anyone that was like, let's go listen to Duran, they was like, wait a minute. If you're eight, 16, 18, 19, it's over. It's over, dude. And anyone over, there are, it's their whole possible younger fan base. They had to just rely on 30-year-olds. Or yeah, their right. fans grew up alongside with them. There it is. There it is. Yep. Now, here's the good part. Yes. 1992 rolls around and Duran Duran releases a self-titled album. But because of the way that the album cover was shot, there are pictures of their parents on the album in their wedding days. And they ended up calling it the wedding album. They released one single off of this and it was a monster. It was a beautiful ballad and it is called Ordinary World. Now, one thing that's changing with Duran Duran is that Warren Kurukula is now contributing to the songwriting on a much greater level. He's a very talented guitar player. If he's playing with Frank Zappa, he's no slouch. You know what I mean? But they filmed this video for Ordinary World, and uh, the song becomes a hit. It's a beautiful song, as you just heard. Another song comes off of that, and it's called Come Undone. And it was actually a very good song, too. A little more uh, heard that. atmospheric, kind of kind of like a... Um, it's got like a sexy little bit of a beat to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And this one goes up to number four in the UK. It hits number seven in the US, but they're still doing okay considering. You know what I mean? Believe it or not, Steve, they actually go on their biggest tour ever. They go through the Middle East. They go through South Africa, South America. And then unfortunately, they hit a brick wall and the tour is halted because Simon Le Bon suffered like a vocal cord strain. Mm -hmm. So after six weeks of recuperation, they go back on tour. They tour for another five months. They hit Israel, Thailand, and Indonesia. It's fucking huge, this tour that they did, which is pretty impressive. And then they come back to the, and they start recording a cover album. A lot of people like this album. There are some songs on it that I think are very good. They do a cover of Led Zeppelin's Thank You, which is a fantastic cover. It even got accolades from Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. They loved it. And it's really good. You should check it out. But uh, one song that they did was called uh, White Lines Don't Lie by Millie Mel. Have you heard this one? No, no, no. I know you know that song, but have you heard their version? No. I was really hoping you did, actually, because I wanted to hear what you thought about it. I'll listen to it. Get back to me on this one, because I, I am very curious what you think about okay. it. Something tells me the Hudson's going to come out, and you're going to be like, nope. <laughs> 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 oh, <bro>. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you never know. Simon Le Bond is he, 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 he kind of surprises me sometimes. We go further, 
and they start recording their next album, which is called Medazalan. Now, we are already in 1997, so so much has happened in music, okay? And getting back to John Taylor, he's now disenchanted with the whole thing. And in January of 1997, they had a Duran Con. It's this fan convention. And this is where John Taylor says, hey, I'm leaving the band for good. I'm done. So that's a huge, massive hit to Duran Duran because now they have this amazing bass player that they've been with forever. He just goes away. And how do you fix that? You know, they, they somehow continue on. Now they're really depending on the diehards. So they record Medazalam and they do keep four tracks from John Taylor. So this album marks a return to like experimentation of big thing. Uh, lots of guitar textures, process vocals, and they release a track called Out of My Mind. They use it for, uh, what was that movie called? The Saint. Good movie. They also do another song called, yeah, it was not bad, actually. They do another one called Electric Barbarella. And it was actually, here's another innovation thing. It was the very first single to ever be sold online. So Duran Duran's oh, always wow. doing something. Yeah, they're always doing something that keeps them like with a little bit of a cutting edge. But yeah. it was the very first digital single to ever come out. That's really dope. The video was like this, this like sexy robot lady, and and she's like you know seducing the band or whatever, and they actually had to censor it to be playing on MTV. I am in. So much like when they did Girls on Film back in the day, and that was one of their videos that they got banned. Barbarella was kind of like that too, but not quite to the same level. Medazzaland was released in October of 1997, and it actually never got released in the UK. Electric Barbarella was actually later released on a. Um, compilation album as a single and it was called greatest another good one but not quite as good as decade duran duran go on in 1999 to record pop trash they had a single on it called someone else not me and it was only on the charts for like two weeks it was also the first video to be produced entirely with flash animation so they're always doing something a little yeah, cool they're like on that. the edge all the time for sure the only other thing that I'll put in is that for Medazzaland and the Pop Trash Tour, uh, they toured with bassist Wes Wilheimer and drummer Joe Travers. So the session musicians have changed again, but they're still not doing anything that's really impressive. Then, Steve, the 2000s come around, and this is where we get something that's pretty awesome. In 2000, they approached John Taylor and they said, hey, look, do you want to come back? We're trying to get the classic lineup together. And of course, he was down with it. It was really cool of Cucurulo to step down because they said they wanted to do the full lineup again. He steps down after completing the Pop Trash Tour. And uh, he announces on the website, hey, I'm leaving. And he actually went back to work with his original band, The Missing Persons. That's a good name. <laughs> That's a great, great band. I love them. Yeah. So the, the very next day, they were already ready for this. They confirmed that not only had John returned, but they also got back Roger and Andy. They Whoa! all rejoined. Huge announcement, right? So... Before they can do that, uh, Kukurula has to fulfill his contractual obligations, and he plays three more Duran Duran concerts in Japan, and then that com that ends it. His tenure of the band is gone. So now 2001, 2002, and 2003, the band are hitting it in the studio. They go to Saint-Tropez, and they're working with engineer Mark Tinley, and they build this recording studio. They return to London. They do some self-finance stuff because they don't quite have as much money as they used to, and they work with various producers. Nile Rodgers comes back. And they have this uh, new record deal all of a sudden. They're actually looking for a new record deal, I should say. Um, it kind of proved difficult for them because no one was really willing to gamble with Duran Duran considering what they've been through, where we're at musically. But, you know, Duran Duran is a very dedicated band and they're going to get the results they want. So when they put out the announcement that they're all back together again, fans go apeshit, present party included. And they end up playing a handful of 25th anniversary dates across 2003 and it just sells out within minutes like super fast and for back then 
you know, nowadays you can't freaking get tickets anymore because they sell off so fast. But this was like no small feat. And it's like celebrities are packing the arenas. People are just eating this shit up like crazy. So it's 2005. Now the band's back together. They go on this massive tour. Okay. They tour all over the world and they are just killing it again, man. And this is where I got to go see them again. I actually got to catch them at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. It was one of the best shows I've ever been to in my life where they played nothing but the hits and a couple of new songs. Andy Taylor is back. He's, he's tearing up the stage and they're so much older, but they're at the top of their freaking game. It was a fantastic tour. Duran Duran is back. They do another single called What Happens Tomorrow. This one debuts at number 11 in the UK chart and the album that they've been working on finally comes out. It's called Astronaut. Part album, part DVD. So the DVD side has a 5.1 surround sound mix. It's another thing that they did to kind of put them like, Hey, you know, we're Duran Duran. Yes, we've been around for a while, but look at all this new shit that we're doing. I'll skip forward a little bit more. They go back to New York City and they work with Timbaland. They're trying to get this collaboration going. They want to work with Justin Timberlake. And with the help of Timbaland, they end up coming up with three songs. And they, one of the songs is included with Justin Timberlake. In October of 2006, they part ways again with Andy Taylor. In an official announcement on their website, the band states that it's an unworkable golf and something had developed between them and, and Taylor. They just really could not work together anymore. They couldn't do anything effectively together. <clears throat> so Andy Taylor decides to leave. They end up making one more album called Red Carpet Massacre. And this is the one that has all the Timbaland tracks on it. And it also features Don Brown, uh, who's the, he's their session guitarist on this one. They go on this tour. They perform twice at Wembley Stadium. And they do one more concert for the, They did a big concert back then called the Concert for Diana. And it was like a... It celebrated the life of her after almost 10 years after her death. And they reached, they played that song, Reach Up for the Sunrise. They played Wild Boys and they played Rio. Some of the highlights of Duran Duran's career after 2000s were 2011. We could talk about that. They actually were asked to perform at the Coachella Festival and they, they killed it. And then they were also asked in May of 2012 to perform at the Summer Olympics. They did the opening ceremony in Hyde Park and it took place on July 27th. Huge. At the end of 2012, they actually had to stop their 18th month world tour because Nick Rhodes got very sick. He had this, this viral infection and that put him out. That's going to lead us to present dates, guys. And all I'm going to talk about with them at this point in the game is that they recorded their last album, which is called Paper Gods. The important thing about this one is that they needed another guitar player and they brought in a beast of a guitar player. They bring in John Frusciani of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They actually released this on their website in April of 2014. It says, we were holding this exciting news because we were hoping to give you full details when we announced. But as word has leaked out, catching us rather off guard, we wanted to confirm, yes, it's true, the extraordinarily talented John Frusciante has indeed been doing some work from his home base in California for our new album. This is freaking huge. Uh, he's just a, a massive guitar player, but he never became a, a member of the band. He just you know, contributed session work for it. In June of 2015, the band officially announces the album Paper Gods, and they released it in September of 2015. It gave us the singles Pressure Off, which came out on Microsoft's Xbox Music, and uh, it also appeared on Google Play Music. In July of 2016, they do do the third leg of their tour, and this is when it's hit in California, so I'm ready to go to this. I have my tickets, and I find out that Nick Rhodes is not playing with them, and that's just that's kind of a deal breaker for me. I think it, yeah. I just, it just wasn't going to be the same, so I actually did not go to that. But the one thing that I'm happy about with this band is that even though Nick Rhodes was just taking a little break, we still had four out of the five original members. And they're still together to this day. They're playing handfuls of dates here and there. And I just want you guys to know that they're actually going to be coming through California. If you live in California, they're going to be playing in September. Guess who's going? Of course you are. Of course. And I'm cordially inviting you, Steve, if you want to go. Tickets go on sale on Friday. Just putting it out there for you. 
boys. Yeah, yeah. But that's it, guys. I know I kind of had to pick up the pace a little bit in the last part of it, but I hope that you have enjoyed the story of Duran Duran. My voice is all but shot. But Steve, thanks for doing this with me, man. I had a great time. Um, We're back to the Norm Heroes of Noise show next week. But this was special because it was from a person who has never heard of Duran. Like, didn't really know Duran Duran except for Reflex. And I knew Notorious because of, you know, Notorious B.I.G. sampled the song. And so I knew that, the gist of that. But it was a fantastic role, a fantastic ride. Thank you, Dan, for taking me on it. My pleasure. Um, It's going to be a fun, awesome, amazing time reading the emails, listening to the messages. If you have any questions, please hit us up. And uh, look, this is the last voice you're going to hear. Thank you, Dan. I can't wait to do it again. The next voice you hear is Dan Ramirez. Love y'all. Peace. Please let us know what you thought of the show, okay? Hit us up at Heroes of Noise Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. You can find us at Heroes of Noise. You can find me, Dan, at Dan Q Public, Steve at SE underscore Hudson Music. Find us on Facebook at Heroes of Noise and go to our website, please. I'm asking you, www.heroesofnoise.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure you leave us a voicemail and let us know how we did. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. That's right, Pandora. And since you're there, go all the way down to the bottom and check out our friends. We call that the Pods of Justice section, and these are the people that we're chilling with, having fun with, and podcasting with. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for me. I got to go do like some uh, chloroseptic or do a a, a Luden's cough drop or something because the voice is just about to go. My name is Dan Ramirez. That is my partner, Steve Hudson over there. We are the Heroes of Noise. We wish you the best week possible. Be good to yourselves. Be good to the people around you. Peace. (laughs) 